So do you remember like eight months ago, whenever we just started recording the show remotely again, and like there for the first couple of weeks, we were like, we're reporting from week number two of quarantine. And then right. like about three or four weeks in, we were like, let's quit naming the number of how many weeks this has mm-hmm. been going on. It's only going to depress people if it gets up to like five. Yeah. <laughs> Well, what sweet summer children we were, Steve. I'm glad we did stop naming the weeks, though, because <laughs> I can't imagine if we're like, it's weak. I don't know. Yeah, I'd be having to use somebody else's fingers and toes to count this, and I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, dead and lovely listeners, to the brand newest installment of Dead and Lovely, the only horror movie review podcast that one. there is. It's mm-hmm. just the only one that there is. Don't even bother yeah. looking for nothing else. It's right here, here with the host with the most. Why, it's me, your good buddy, Uncle Ben. And me, your better buddy, Hollywood oh, Steve. You always got to Text me on our face. secret text channel where we don't let Ben know. Hey, let me know about it. Let me in, guys. Come on. Oh, hey, cool. oh yeah, Ben. Hey, what's up? Hey, Ben. Oh, uh, We're I not mean, doing cool stuff or anything. Okay, all right, all right, well. Just let me know if you do anything cool later. I'll, I'll be around, I guess. All right, guys, let's go to the strip club. Dang it, I missed again. <laughs> I missed again. These guys love the strip club. <laughs> they do. They totally, totally do. It's right, man. And today we're going to be talking about Pan's Labyrinth drinking a tasty co-beer, running down some of our favorite dark fantasy movies and all that stuff. But you know what, Steve? If you just are one of those sticks in the mud that wants to get right on to the movie review, you can't find... You just can't wait to find out if we like this movie or not. Oh, I gotta know now. There's a timestamp for you. It's in the podcast description. You can go right to that. But you're gonna miss the hangs. I'm just gonna warn you. That's true. There's gonna be some good hangs. I got some good stuff here. And I'll tell you, if you're trying to get to the score, I don't even know what you're going for. It's not like we have some rigorous rubric or anything. We're just like, I don't know, Mm -hmm. I'm feeling a six. Yeah. It's a six. It's just how it goes. It's just how it goes. So skip ahead. We got the timestamp. Just skip ahead. Yeah. How you been doing this week, Steve? Uh, I have been doing a pretty well. I've been I've been kicking it. I've been real busy. So I've been leaning back on some movies I've seen before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, some old classics, some standbys. Yeah. yeah, some real classic standbys. In fact, I went with... Uh, Dr. Shivago. Right. <laughs> no. Bridge I over River with... Kwai. <laughs> no, even Jerry better. Jerry Maguire. Friday the 13th, part six, my friend. Okay, yeah, that is better. Yeah, that's, that's actually better classic. than any of those. Uh-huh. Yeah. And also <laughs> Dream Warriors. I, I, I just... Yeah, I just wanted to watch some of my favorite representative sequels. This happened because... Um, I think you mentioned maybe like a month ago that you watched the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. I did, yeah. Yeah, and I I was like, man, you know, I watched that back in the day and I have an irrational hatred for it. I should watch it, give it a chance, you know, really give it the opportunity. Because the first yeah. time I watched it, it was like, what the hell? Well, this shouldn't mm-hmm. exist. Yeah. Yep. Why? Why are you even? Uh, why are you even trying? Just get out of here with this idiocy. Yeah. Now I can tell you for sure. Why did you even try? Get out of here with this idiocy. <laughs> that movie is fucking terrible. You know, it's not. It's not good. It's just one of those things where it's like it didn't really need to happen. It sticks close no. enough to where it's like they're trying to give you the beats of what you got out of the original without just doing the original. Yeah. It's like really, what did you want to do here? Yeah, I think it's I think it's another one of these test remakes because it, it was early in the the remake boom. Yeah, I think it's like okay, how much do we have to change? Uh, 
the thing that just blows my mind is that it starts with an attempt at the Texas Chainsaw Massacre opening that is just, ugh. It's that terrible early 2000s digital black and white with like the attempt at the scratchy look and it's like it's just the same loop over and over like it's Mm -hmm. not scratched film anyway yeah it's easy to tell where it's starting over and stuff yeah yeah but like you got that and it's like okay whatever but then immediately kicks into sweet home alabama and i'm like (laughs) what the fuck is happening why like oh we really want to subvert expectations here Fuck it you. really reeks of like all the worst parts of what Rob Zombie does, doesn't it? <laughs> it kind of does. Like the oh worst parts only. Yes. You know? Like I guarantee that uh, Rob Zombie watches that movie and he's just like, oh god, like fuck. Those are all the mistakes. Like, <laughs> like those are the things <laughs> I avoid. That's yeah. Everything I avoid. You made those mistakes. Yeah, it's yeah. not really very good, man. It's not very good. Yeah. Well, it put me on to the track of, like, is there a good Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie other than the first one? I mean, we, the second one has its charms. Yeah, but it's, it's zany. Not, it's just cocaine, yeah. It's not on the same level no, as no, the no. original. Mm-mm. So I remembered liking Leatherface as a kid, so I watched Leatherface trying to I've be like... I've never seen okay. that. Uh, well, here's the thing. it At the time it came out, in 1990... I would say it's a, it's like, it's like super violent for its time and maybe like, maybe sort of foreshadowing how horror movies would start to go later in the 90s, but it's also just not a great movie, but it does have Viggo Mortensen. Oh, that's that's a good thing. Yeah. 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 Viggo Mortensen putting on a a Southern-ish accent. (laughs) Hmm. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, it's got some cool scenes. A guy gets his hands nailed to a chair. That's pretty wild. Big fan of that. Yeah. Who doesn't love that? Uh, well, it, again, it, Rob Zombie also did that. Yeah. <laughs> in Devil's Rejects, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I would say le- you watch Leatherface, and there's definitely a, a good bit of Rob Zombie. Like, like he, he definitely was going for some of that. Because there's a character uh, named uh, Alfredo who is a so much a rob zombie character like 10 years ahead of any rob zombie movie so Hmm. it's i mean i would say for sure it is closer to the original than part two like it's far less silly but it's still not it's still not on par um i'm gonna try to watch some of the others though now like i'm gonna try because i haven't seen four since forever like and it has matthew mcconaughey with like a weird yeah uh, leg that he operates with a tv remote for some reason <laughs> doesn't have like zellweger or reese witherspoon or somebody in it yeah it's got renee zellweger in it and okay. i think i think like it's like one of her first movies anyway it um i remember that one being very weird and i i'm gonna try to watch the the other like newer sequels the, the one with alexandra daddario i kind of remember being okay but i'm not positive because i haven't seen it in so long okay right on well let me know how those go because you know i I don't think i've seen any other than one and two in the remake honestly yeah i'm gonna try i'm gonna try to keep updated but i'm also trying to not go crazy because uh i'll tell you what if i watched those sequels like in a row i'd probably go insane 
<laughs> so what have you been uh, watching, Ben? Man, not much, because I have also been insanely fucking busy this week, dude. I just kind of had all kinds of musical projects and stuff land in my lap last week, so I have just been spending every night editing stuff, recording stuff, all that kind of jazz, so not mm. a lot, but I did have time to watch a flick that I saw for the first time many years ago and didn't really like the first time that I saw it, I think because it was just different from what I was anticipating or maybe what I was in the mood for, but we rewatched. Jim Jarmusch's The Only Lovers Left Alive, his vampire oh, yeah, flip that. that he put out. You mentioned Man, that last week, and I haven't seen it. It's good. Like, okay. this time around, I think, like, knowing what I was getting into, knowing that it is these, you know, kind of sad, sort of emo, emotional vampires and stuff, I okay. think just knowing what I was getting into made it a lot better. Uh, and also, you know, probably just knowing that it's, it's a Jim Jarmusch movie, so it's really just kind of like a character study. It's not really like a point a to point b story story you know okay so at any point you said like emo vampire does one of the vampires ever go (laughs) you don't get it (laughs) nobody understands (laughs) 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 it's cool man it's a beautiful movie too yeah i I think you like it i think the only other movie that i watched this week was a little old classic called predator a little bit Predator. of Predator action. Mm-hmm. Wow, OG. awesome. Yeah, I that's mean, great. You, know, you can't lose with it, man. We did no, that you many moons ago on the podcast with old yeah. Andy Wood as a guest. Fun episode. But you know what, Steve? It just hit me that even what? though we did that deep dive episode and we really covered it from all angles, there was something that we missed. What did we miss? And it was staring at us right there. What? Plain as day. Let me just run this by you and see if you think I'm crazy, okay? Okay. The Predator, right? The mm-hmm. Predator himself. Right. He's wearing the mesh. Mm-hmm. He's got the headgear. Gotcha. Laser lights. Mm-hmm. The fascination with skulls. Uh-huh. Is the Predator a cyber goth? Because I think he probably is. <laughs> he must be. He's, He's gotta, gotta be. be a cyber goth. Look at it this way. He's such a fucking cyber goth that even whenever he gets attacked and bleeds, his blood is like the inside of those glow sticks. Holy He's shit, a raver. you're right. <laughs> he came to planet Earth to rave. <laughs> He's like, I gotta get rid of these guys in the jungle. They're keeping me from the party. I'd love to see the predator with a pacifier in his mouth. <laughs> Yeah. Just in fucking big old going to mouth. town. Yeah. <laughs> just tripping out on X and stuff. Yeah. And there's probably like bass nectar playing. And he's just, man, he's fucking loving it. He's touching yes. everything. All these yes. predators are rubbing against other predators and stuff. <laughs> it's like the rave in the Matrix, whichever sequel that was. Yeah, exactly. Just the big old Zion. Everybody rave. fucking. Yeah. And dude, the but dreads, predators. too. I forgot to mention that. He's got dreads. Like, he does. Holy shit. It's right You're there, right. dude. It is. It's right there. He is absolutely <laughs> a raver. He was coming for He was coming from space in 1988 to bring to us rave culture. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> he came a long way, but the message God, was worth you. it, am thank I right? Thank you. Wow. <laughs> uh, I think the only only other stuff that I really watched this week is we watched the little uh like 45 minute documentary that Netflix put up about the last season of Shit's Creek. Oh, and, right. dude, uh-huh. it was just such a nice little cherry on top of that of that entire series. It really is 
man, among I the best sitcoms ever. Watch you have this to show. fucking watch it. Man. Yes, you have people to watch are it. so in love with it. The more like I see people talk about it, the more I'm like, yeah, all right, great. And I really hope I, I actually, it's one of those I'm kind of dreading a little bit because what if I don't like it? Then I mean, I'm if just you don't, an just, asshole. Yeah, just don't tell me about it. Honestly, yeah, it'll be the I'll kind just of thing pretend where I didn't watch it. Yeah, just like, keep acting like you haven't seen it. it. Like, oh, I need to get to that someday. It looks fun. <laughs> I really think it's one of those though where it's like if you I, don't like yeah. this, you're probably heartless. Yeah, you know? yeah, the, like, yeah. I the, bet Mitch McConnell hates it. <laughs> the the number of people I've uh, had recommend it to me, and just you know the the reaction I've seen online to everything about it it i I definitely gotta get on it but we talked about this i think last week too it's Uh, a treasure it is i gotta watch it yep yep that is for sure man and i'll tell you what i gotta do steve i got to stick a beer in my face hole you want to do that i'm going to as well i'm excited about this steve because this is one that we did a little social distant beer drop because i got one of these co-beers a couple weeks ago over here from uh, Cork's Liquor Stall in the old city, Knoxville. I went in there, got some beers. I grabbed this one on a whim because I'd never had it before. And this is a Equilibrium, Equilibrium, it's called Equilibrium, Equilibrium, Equilibrium Brewing. Uh, it's just called C. It is their pale ale. Uh-huh. And dude, I'll tell you what, man. It's freaking awesome. It is absolutely amazing. Like... Whenever you drink a lot of IPAs and stuff like we do, uh, you know your taste buds kind of go numb. Like you yeah. kind of lose the ability There's a whole to taste lot hops. of different flavor in there. Real yeah. intense, yeah. Oh yeah, because I remember like whenever IPAs started becoming the thing. Before I drank him, it's like my friends and stuff were into him, and they'd hand me one to try out or whatever, and I'd try it and be like, "Oh my god!" Like all I can taste is hops. Like it's just so fucking hoppy. And nowadays, I feel like you could just, you know, like hand me a bunch of hop clippings and I'll put it between my, my cheek and gum and be like, I, I can't taste nothing. <laughs> yeah. But I this beer, <laughs> it reawoke my taste buds whenever I had it. And I was like, oh my God, like this tastes as intensely hoppy as like the first IPAs and stuff that I had. Now, the cool thing about it is it's just a pale ale. It's not an IPA. Uh, so it's not like heavily flavored with this, that or the other. It's just a really fucking hoppy beer. Okay. And I think that you're gonna love it. Pour with care. It's a foamy bastard. That thing yeah, I've is. already, He's a already foamy boy. started pouring it. I'm glad you warned me ahead of time because it uh, it's active. What about that aroma? It smells piney and resiny as hell. It sure as hell is, dude. You're I think that you're gonna like sip. this in a lot. Yeah, go in there and see what that does to you. Because for me, it was like a hot punch Ooh. to the mouth. Isn't that awesome? Ooh, damn. This, okay, yeah, this reminds me of IPAs from, like, 2008-ish. Feels like the first yeah, time. it does. And, and, like, the IPAs have mostly gotten away from this. I actually missed it, I think. I want more beers like this. Like, it's just, yeah. it tastes like beer. It's just really fucking hoppy. It's kind of the same thing that, like, I think both of us like about Lagunitas. Yeah. Like Hop Stupid mm-hmm. Maximus and all those. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it just tastes like really fucking hoppy beer. Mm-hmm. I can taste the flavor of the hops themselves. Yeah. Still tastes like a beer at the end of the day. Oh, man. Yeah, I could drink like, my body weight in this stuff. It's got like the uh, resiny, pineapple taste to it. It's, yeah. I mean, 
this is exactly what people who hate IPAs hate IPAs for. Oh, but yeah. it's good. <laughs> it's just really, mm -hmm. it's really balanced. Like it's not. Uh, I mean, I'm not gonna pretend like it's not piney and and citrusy and and all the stuff that uh, people who hate IPAs hate about IPAs. But this is a very well balanced version of it. Yeah, that's how I feel about it too. Kind of like what we talk about with the uh, the main brewing company stuff, where it's like, oh, this mm, is just a very yeah. balanced beer that's not you know super heavy one way or the other. Like yeah. this isn't insanely boozy it's not insanely sweet or super super bitter or overly flavored you know yeah, yeah. it's just a nice drinking co beer i'm down with it that's some good stuff man Way i to thought go. you equilibrium uh-huh you guys know what the hell is up it is and it's really only really good 4.8 percent so that's oh that's, that's not bad uh yeah that's a pretty light boy for uh mm -hmm. well this is a pale ale not an ipa so but still, 4.8%. That's uh, not what I expected. I mean, I think that's good enough for recording at 4.19 p.m. on a Tuesday, right? <laughs> yeah. That's Probably good true. enough. We have had some big 13 percenters in like the yeah. middle of the day. <laughs> and the, day. the rest of my day, I'm like, what, what is happening? Well, I'm done for the day, yeah. I reckon. <laughs> good thing I had that shot of Jameson before we started recording, too. I'll tell you that. Jameson, <laughs> way too easy to drink, y'all. I mean, yeah. it's really easy to just mow through some Jameson. But it's you know, so good. I, I had that problem. I, I mentioned I got Old Forester uh, 100 proof a, a couple of weeks ago. Oh, to yeah, sort you of did. Celebrate slash commiserate. Um, and uh, that was, it was too easy to drink for 100 yeah. proof. And it's 100 like, proof, was, too. Yeah, I was like laid out pretty quickly. <laughs> it's easy to do that, man. I'll tell you what else I had this week. This is just a just a good old beer hack. Hey, beer hacks, y'all. We're teaching you something, huh? Yeah, learn something about a co-beer on this show, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had a beer by a local brewer. I think it was Albright Brewing here in Knoxville. Okay. That was their chocolate-dipped pretzel stout. Ooh, I love... <laughs> Sounds enticing. I love pretzels, and I love chocolate-dipped pretzels. Mm-hmm, that's right. And a little bit of saltiness on there, too. It's a good combination, right? Yeah, how's this, how's this taste? So it was good, and I had a sip of it, and I was like, okay, yeah, I kind of get the malty, chocolatey sort of thing out of this. Dude, I added a pinch of salt to the beer. Uh-huh. And it Solid. came alive. It was amazing. Do this do this uh, to your coffee, everyone. Okay, when I've you, heard about this. When you this. brew your coffee, yeah. Add, um, uh, listen, it, it, you know, I, I don't want to get into giving anyone medical advice, but if your doctor hasn't told you to avoid salt, go ahead and toss like almost a, a teaspoon in there. Like, it, it, don't worry. Uh, I mean, that again, much? it... They do, well, I'm talking about if you're making four cups. So okay. uh, if you're making a if you're making a cup, yeah, like a, a quarter teaspoon or yeah, just a little dash. But Peach. like, yeah, the thing is that like it really, especially with like uh, dark roasts, it really brings out like the chocolatey, like also like just sort of uh, kind of like a creaminess to it. Oh my! Really? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, chocolate and, and coffee both need salt, I think. Hmm, I'll try that next time. That's one of those things I've heard about, but I always thought it sounded really grody, but now that I thought about how well it helped that stat out, it just kind of makes sense, actually. Uh, this is what you do, is don't add it to the cup. Add it to the the um, the grind. So like, Oh, okay. Yeah, and like it will like 
basically you don't end up getting all of the salt like mm, uh, yeah. it'll get kind of mixed in with the the grounds that are left over you get a, a good bit of it and it, it really does taste great it really rounds everything out I think I'll try that. I'm actually, I might actually even try that out after we're done recording today because I woke up early as fuck. The dog had like a vet appointment. Had to go get her legs checked out after her surgeries and stuff like that. Good news. Surgeries are just healing up just dandy. So awesome. that is a good thing, man. But yeah, I, I could use a little something to keep my papers peeled. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. Mm-hmm, that's right. Now, Steve, we're talking today about pens labyrinth mm-hmm. not deep dish labyrinth no uh-uh. it's a not a hand toss labyrinth nope. it's not one of those Mm-mm. it's the original pan labyrinth <laughs> <laughs> and this right here is a dark fantasy it's not just like a light fantasy it's a dork fantasy fantasies mm-hmm. that be dork <laughs> yeah and of course i think all of us know that it features the pale man so i say for this installment of preview palace we're gonna give these busters the top three things that also look like the pale man i'm gonna go with number one mitch mcconnell yep yep number two a ball sack yeah Okay, that about rounds it up. Yeah, that's kind of it. (laughs) Maybe we should give him something a little bit longer to chew on here, Steve. How about we take a little detour into that preview palace? Welcome to the preview palace. Dark fantasy edition. Oh, it took a twist right there, huh? I'm a fucking minotaur. (laughs) (laughs) If I was a minotaur, I would say that all the time. I'm a fucking minotaur. I'm a fucking minotaur. Steve, I say we break down for these busters, these dead and lovelies that are listening right now. Maybe we just lay on them our top five favorite dork fantasy movies, you know? Because there's a lot of movies out there that kind of fall into that light fantasy. We're not about that. We're not about that. We're a horror show. Yeah, I uh, I think, you know, dark fantasy was pretty popular when we were kids. I think so, too. It seems like they kind of, like, trusted our young adult minds to handle some dorkness in our fantasies. Yeah, so a number of these uh, we saw as kids and we've grown up with. And maybe if you didn't uh, grow up with them, you'll disagree. That's fine. You head on over to our social media. Let us know all about all the great dark fantasies we should be watching. Mm -hmm, That's right. Now, Steve, I'm going to start this list off here with my number one dark fantasy from when I was a child It's having a sex with a witch with the lights on. My number one (laughs) fantasy right there. Right, right. That's what we're talking about, right? Yep, yep. For me, it was uh, having sex with a witch with two lights on. (laughs) Real bright. (laughs) You see everything. Just double bright. Like, what's going on here? (laughs) Like, oh, I got to squint. It's so bright in here. Your skin is so pale, witch. You never go out in the sun. (laughs) witches don't go out in the sun enough what's going on witches i know right maybe they wouldn't need to make so many potions and remedies if they got some vitamin d every now and then (laughs) get out of the sun witches (laughs) so all right so now that we got that done yeah we got we got uh, things that look like the pale man we got our our childhood (laughs) dark fantasies out of the way and now we'll talk about our top five dark fantasy movies. <laughs> this is like the top three preview palaces for Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Number three, top five fantasy <laughs> movies that are dark. Okay. <laughs> now, number five on here is one that we put down. What's got 
let's say a Jennifer Connelly, somebody that harkens back to our very first episode, Dario Argento's Phenomena. Mm-hmm. I mean, going way back right there. We got ourselves one of her in here. We've got ourselves David Bowie's enormous codpiece. What? <laughs> That's inappropriate. Yep. His Tina Turner wig, all kinds of things going on to this flick. And a Fushigi ball. Oh, yeah. He did a lot of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Man, <laughs> that ball looked like it had treated itself to a special on Black Friday sales at Manscaped.com, if you know what oh. I mean. That thing was slick and shiny. <laughs> Promo code DEAD20. Head on it over definitely there. definitely used that thing, man. Get your that balls thing as shiny as the balls David Bowie played with in the labyrinth. Just rolling around. Just rolling yep. them all around his gloved hands. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome, Manscaped. <laughs> yeah, this is this is the promo that y'all pay for right here. Yeah, this is what you signed up for. <laughs> I feel like we should insert a clip of like uh, Joaquin Phoenix Joker. You get what you fucking deserve. <laughs> <laughs> so Labyrinth is one of those ones that I didn't watch as a kid. There's a lot of these that I did watch when I was a kid, but I didn't watch Labyrinth until I was probably, I think, well into my 20s because that was one of uh, my wife's childhood favorites. And it is it is a treasure. It's got some really silly stuff. There's a swamp that smells really bad, and there's fart noises and stuff. That is, yeah, that is a positive for sure. <laughs> there's helping hands. Uh-huh, yeah. There's dance, magic dance. There's all kinds of things in here, man. The child with the powers. The babe with the powers. That's what he says. I know the words. There's all kinds of things in here, Steve. Yeah, and I uh, I don't exactly love it. <gasps> um, okay. I didn't, yeah, I didn't love it as a kid. I've come to appreciate it more as an adult for its campy value and stuff. But as a kid, I just thought it was too silly. Like, just wasn't dark enough for me. Oh, you you were watching Only Lovers Left Alive as a yeah. kid. You're like, these are my kind <laughs> these of fantasies. Are... <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know what it was uh, as a kid that I just didn't, I didn't care for it much. I have come to appreciate it a lot more. Uh, it is, it is silly, but yeah. it's supposed to be silly. It's yeah, suppo- it should be, you know. Yeah, it's counteracting the dark fantasy elements, which are pretty dark. Yeah, yeah, it's got some uh, it's got some dark stuff in there. I mean, I guess David Bowie wanting to take a child bride is pretty yeah, dark. That's pretty weird, you know, and and you know, they're trying to take a baby and kind of just seems like all the elements of it are dark, so they had to make it a little more light and playful. And that is, you know, what everybody loves about it. But I think as a kid it just didn't work for me. I was like, eh, I don't know. You know, I was a real jaded child. Eh, I don't know about this. <laughs> Old jaded but we Steve, get they back called to you. Music. Stick to music. We don't want to hear about your magic dancing in your cod piece. Uh huh. That's Bowie. what I said to him. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, Labyrinth is obviously. I mean, people love it. Yeah, it's a good one. Now, number four here, we have one that we did on the show not too long ago. This is one of the only newer entries on our list. Actually, it's the newest entry on our list entirely yeah, sure. here. It's one we reviewed on the show a little while back. You loved it. My wife I did. loved it. I liked mm-hmm. it a lot. Tell them about it, Steve. Yeah, Gretel and Hansel. Uh, mm, and I, I would say, yeah, I'd say this one is probably a little controversial, but this is our top five. We're not saying this is a definitive top five. But yeah, for me, suck it. <laughs> yeah, for me... Gretel and Hansel just has so many of the elements. Like it, it definitely has a, a ton of like uh, the great dark fantasy elements that you saw in some of these other movies we will talk about as kids. 
but also some real great um, historical dark elements from the 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 uh, actual. Uh, what am I trying to say? Folk tales, fantasy stuff, thingies. Like Grim, Brothers Grim tales, and stuff. F- fairy folk, tales, folklore? fairy tales is what it's called. <laughs> some of the real dark like uh grim elements of those fairy tales that had been kind of taken out and and sanitized and this wasn't uh you know gretel and hansel wasn't for kids but it was as we discussed in our episode about it definitely for teenagers it seemed so it was aiming still at a younger audience but it brought in a lot of darkness that uh i enjoyed Oh, yeah, me too, man. And it's just visually a feast. It is a really, really, really gorgeous movie. Like, it's one of those ones that you kind of need to watch twice just because the first time that you see it, you'll just be so entranced by the visuals. Yeah, that is true. Also got a, a witchy woman covered in tattoos in there, too. That's a good thing. Yeah, the design elements to it are really... Um, Very cool. S- just so much of it, like the way the house looks, the way the... The way the forest looks when she's all jacked up on uh, shrooms or whatever. like Yeah, tripping balls. The, yeah, just all of the... It, visually, it is a great movie. But also, the, the story is uh, solid and the acting's good. Uh, I think the, the little boy wasn't great, but uh, yeah, other than that, yeah. you know, it's good. Good movie. Seems to have flown under the radar for a lot of people. I know a lot of people that have not seen that flick, but it's definitely worth checking out. And that's by old uh, Oz Perkins, right? Yes, it is. That's a good thing right there, if you ask me. That's an Oz good thing. How <laughs> 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 do you think he does that? He's like, <laughs> Oz good thing. Hey, Oz good thinking, buddy. <laughs> I, do, I don't know how often he does it, but it needs to be more. I'll tell you that. I bet people are like, hey, Oz, have a good day. And he says... Have an Oz good day. <laughs> like my name, get it? Yeah. Like, yes. Yeah. Yes. No, we we do. Yeah. We you yeah. keep doing it. Yes, we do. It's pretty on the nose. Pretty on the <laughs> nose, actually. Ben, what's a number three? Number three. You want to talk about a movie that made us all feel extremely weird as children in the 80s it came from parts germany of the world it featured a swamp of sadness that got us ready (laughs) for being disappointed with the outcomes of everything in our lives (laughs) it had a kid who maybe it was a boy maybe it was a girl either way you were turned on and probably confused as a young person (laughs) i know i was and it also came with of course, the greatest movie soundtrack song of all time. Never ending story. You know who sang that song? No, who? That is the singer from Kajagoogoo. Do, shy, shy. Exactly. That's the singer from that group. I did not know that. Yep. Limhall, Limhall, or however the fuck you pronounce it. Yeah, that was huh. his band. Well, and go. the Never Ending Story is is a treasure. That is one that, like, I remember as a kid, my brother and I would always get really psyched to rent. You know, because you rent the same movies, like, over and over and over when you right, were a kid. Right, yeah. We never owned it for whatever reason, but we'd always rent right. Never Ending Story. And uh, I'd always be really excited because I remember all the cool fantasy stuff and Falcor flying through the city and all that jazz. And then we start watching it and it's just like, oh yeah, this is fucked up and dark. <laughs> it is very, it is very, very dark. Uh, I wasn't yeah. a huge fan as a kid, but as an adult, so I, weird I, to me. I, 
I don't, I, I mean, I can't think of a lot of intentionally silly-ish movies that I was into as a kid. Like, unless it was meant to be humor. Like, like Labyrinth and, and uh, NeverEnding Story are both campy as hell. Yeah. And I don't know. I just couldn't get into it, I, I you guess. You were more into the highbrow humor of Naked Gun when you were a kid. Yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> Naked Gun was where, I, was where I was at, for sure. I... But I, I don't know, like, I did love the Lord of the Rings cartoons and, like, um, uh, you know, Black Cauldron and stuff like that. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. I was into it if it was a cartoon, but it seems like if it was live action, I was less into it. But wow. I do see the value of this movie now. It's definitely, like, so dark. And it, the songs really cover how dark it is i think what i'm gonna do now on my youtube channel i'm gonna make a video just for you steve this is inspired by you in this moment it's gonna be called this is why you suck at childhood and it's gonna be just (laughs) officially i did suck (laughs) at childhood i was real bad at it what a square i was way too serious as a kid (laughs) you're just a, a young man of discerning taste is all man I sometimes do think that, like, my mind was slightly wiped and then I was put into the body of a child because, like, there was mm. so mu- so much of my childhood was me insisting I was an adult. <laughs> like, <laughs> You're like, no, really, I'm a grown-up. Yeah, no, like, come on, guys. You could just talk to me the way you talk to everybody else because I'm a grown-up dude in a child's body. And they're like, Whatever. You can sell right, me the kid. beer, sir. I identify as a grown-up. Listen, all right? <laughs> the one joke. Yeah, I get what you mean, though, man it's one of those things where like you know the the dark fantasy stuff just didn't really get some people like my my good friend josh that i've known my whole life like he was never into any of this stuff at all but it's like those of us that enjoyed this stuff as a kid just it like it, yeah. burned itself into yeah. our personalities mm-hmm. our memories everything and the never-ending story is one of those ones that i mean you know I, I think that I could probably like recite from memory almost because I watched it so many times as a kid. Then I went through mm-hmm. a big phase where I didn't watch it for probably 10 years or so. Yeah. And a couple of years ago, while we were house sitting for some friends, we rewatched it. And we were both, uh, Kate and I were both just like, man, this is pretty fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> you know what movie I did love, Ben? What? And it's our number two. <gasps> that movie is legend. Oh my gourd. Yeah. Legend is a fucking treasure. What you know yeah. about young Snaggletooth Tom Cruise? <laughs> that's true. I, that's true. He does have a Snaggletooth. Mm-hmm. He's got that center tooth going on. What you know about Tim Curry? Mm, that's my favorite type of curry, a Tim. Oh, yeah. Spicy. Yeah. Ooh, caliente. <laughs> little tingle on the palate. I'm a huge fan of that. Directed by a Ridley Scott. At the height of his powers. It's funny we mentioned this one, too. Um, Kate just happened to have it on over the weekend. I was, of course, furiously working on my computer editing stuff. But she had that movie on in the background, and I just kind of, like, turn around every now and then and catch parts of it and just be like, God damn. That, that movie is just a visual masterpiece. Yeah. It is insane how much detail is in all of those shots. And there's always like, here's the thing about that movie. There's always shit flying around. There's some sort of like (laughs) moving element to everything. And Blade Runner is actually the same way. So like at this point in his career, Ridley Scott was just obsessed with like, something has to be moving on screen, whether it's lights dancing around or 
in uh, in legend, there's a shit ton of chicken feathers that are always flying around. Like when they're outside in the forest and stuff, it just looks like little forest insects and things flying around. But they're chicken feathers flying around everywhere. Yeah, I think uh, you know uh, Del Toro kind of uh, mimics that in the absolutely. forest scenes in this. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep, absolutely so, man. And the thing about legend that I think is so cool is like, dude, there's a lot of elements in that that feel like like a live action anime or something like the character designs and the dialogue and even the way some of the shots are framed and stuff. You're like, this feels like it could be out of like sailor moon or something, you know? Right. Yeah. But like fantasy. Yeah. I, I just, as a kid, it, it really stuck with me, especially, you know, Tim Curry fucking just amazing mother night. It's, it is something that like, as an adult rewatching it, it's like, I don't think this was for kids. <laughs> I mean, Mm-mm. I know it may have been, but like it, it shouldn't have been probably it's, it is dark. Yeah, it is really enjoy it though. And the special effects and like monster design and stuff in it too, like fucking Meg Mucklebones and all that shit. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's like up there with some of the greatest horror monster designs and executions ever. Like that shit looks terrifying. Yeah, it absolutely does. So that one, that one is one of the ones that really did hit with me as a kid, for sure. I get it. I totally get it. Like, I I think I've always wanted to find some other dark fantasy that's actually like aimed at kids that hits that level for me. I know, right? You know, I mean, it's directed by Ridley Scott. Like, we're talking about, like, this this movie, Pan's A Labyrinth, big I think. director. Yeah, this movie, Pan's Labyrinth, I think is, you know, obviously on a sim- similar level, but I wouldn't say this could ever be shown to kids. Like, no, no. <laughs> I'd like, so anybody out there that knows anything on the level of legend, that type of darkness, but still for kids, let me know. I, I want to see some of those movies. I wonder about that too, man, because I feel like there was something about those movies and stuff that came out when we were kids that gave us a lot of credit, I think, as young people to understand and deal with the realness and the horrors and the sadness and stuff like that without it just being like, there's a courageous knight that fights a dragon and gets a princess, like really, really straightforward, simple stories like that. And I don't know that there's a lot of new stuff out there right now that gives kids that kind of credit to be able to deal with those things and process them. Maybe I'm totally wrong because I'm not watching children's fantasy movies. I don't know. But anyway, let us know. Well, I'd say there's probably also a lot of, there's probably also a lot of animes and stuff like that that I just don't know about oh, that definitely. deal with some, yeah. some really dark fantasy stuff. So yeah, let us know over on the Facebook group and stuff because if there's some more stuff that's kind of in that same league as some of these ones we've been talking about that I'd love to see it I'm too old to know about yeah I definitely want to fucking see them so let us know I know we got a lot of parents and stuff listening to this show that might have some kids that are getting to watch some of this cool stuff that we don't know about so let us know over on the the Facebook group and I'll say one more great thing about Legend fucking soundtrack Tangerine Dream holy shit incredible perfect 80s synthesizer soundtrack and then at the very end there's a song that is sung by the king of the high voice. I'm talking about John Anderson from fucking Yes. He sings that song at the end of the movie that is just uh-huh. incredible. That dude, yeah. I'll tell you what, man. If you're a guy with a high voice, if you're one of them high voices, you got to sound effortless to sound cool. Yeah, that's true. And he sounds effortless whenever he sings that high stuff. Have you ever heard his speaking voice? No. 
it's almost hilarious. Like he's he straight up sounds like he just took a couple fucking whippets uh, of of helium, just straight up helium. Like he just has a high as fuck voice. So when he sings, it's effortless and it's beautiful, man. Yeah. Now, Steve, before we drop our number one on these folks, we, before we go, just soaking them in our number one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I say we got to give a couple of honorable mentions out because I know there's some of people's, you know, favorite dark fantasies that didn't make it onto our list. They're going to be fucking burning our thatched roof cottages that we live in down. They're going to be running <laughs> us out of town with their torches and stuff. That makes if sense. we don't address some of their favorites, and I think we should go ahead and first put it out there that, yes, we realize the Dark Crystal is a classic of dark fantasy. It Steve, is. this is just not one that really hit you, did it? I hate it. I hate it. I don't like so it it's at all. all. It's the your puppets. fault. Got it's it. the Muppets. It's the Muppets. I can't. I couldn't get into it as a kid. And watching, I, I did watch it as a kid. Um, it it just, I I don't know. I the last time I watched it, I just could not get into it. I've heard the all TV right, show is all good. Right. I've heard it's good. I'll need you to show me on the doll where the Skeksis hurt you. Okay. Uh, in my ears. It's my <laughs> ears. Yeah, that's that's where they hurt me. All right, that's fair. That's fair. I I get it, man. It's one of those that I also didn't watch as a kid. I watched that for the first time, probably late teens, early twenties, and uh, it's a really really interesting flick. It's also one of those ones that kind of makes me feel weird, kind of like Never Any Story does. It's definitely way more Muppety, and I think. A little bit more kid friendly, but it gets dark and fucked up at times too. Like there's that scene where the the Skeksis are all fighting amongst each other, and the loser has to like get all his clothes stripped off in front of everybody. Yeah. It's just like weird stuff that made me feel strange as a as a young person watching this. You know, so I can't imagine yeah. how it would make me feel if I saw it when I was a kid. You know, it's possible that I don't like uh, the three movies that I've named because they made me feel weird. It is mm-hmm. possible because, like, uh, you know feeling weird isn't fun as a kid i don't yeah. think so i think i probably just avoided it and then was like <laughs> let's put on scarface i don't know why they're uh chainsawing that guy but okay <laughs> and then you grow up and you're like let's do these mushrooms so we can feel weird <laughs> yeah what? feeling normal is getting boring <laughs> i'm tired of this normal here yeah there there are a bunch of movies as well that could be categorized as dark fantasy that we kind of uh, it kept out because I think it's just too confusing to say like Edward Scissorhands is dark fantasy for sure so. yeah but it's also uh, you know a dark fantasy Frankenstein man in uh, a brightly lit suburb like yeah it's just Tim Burton like that's his own category yeah Tim exactly Tim Burton because you could say Beetlejuice is dark fantasy but it, it's that's true it's very like Tim Burton has his own sort of thing uh, so yeah, you could say many Tim Burton movies, and if you did, honestly, our list would probably be several Tim Burton movies, which is kind of sure. why it was like, well, let's exclude those. Uh, but you could also look at things like uh, Coraline or mm-hmm. um, Nightmare Before Christmas. Nightmare Before Christmas, even yeah, yeah, yeah. those things are they're dark fantasy, and they're all uh, quality. But we were going for a very specific thing, I think, here, and that is movies similar to The Labyrinth. Yeah, stuff that has more traditional fantasy elements. To it, such as witches, wizards, shit like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that's why I kept nine off of the list. Nine is kind of nine, a newer movie yeah. 
all animated and stuff. I, again, I guess you could call it dark fantasy-ish. Uh, yeah, it's also got, like, elements of, like, I don't know, some sort of, like, mystic punk. Like, it's it's kind very of, strange. Right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's directed it's by depressing. the guy who directed uh, Night Watch, the Russian vampire movie. Is it movie. really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Timur Bekmet- Bekmetdinov, I think is the name. We should do Nightwatch sometime. I can't believe oh, we've we'll not have to. done that on the show. Man. Yeah, we'll have to. They, the thing about Nightwatch that I have a problem with is that the American version, despite having awesome subtitles, cuts out huge portions of the story and doesn't make any sense. I was going to say, is that why it doesn't make much sense, but it does look cool? <laughs> it does look cool, but it doesn't make any sense. But if you if you see the Russian version, yeah, there's like 20 minutes of it that are cut out that like kind of explain it honestly it doesn't make a ton of sense even in russian okay all right all right that's <laughs> but fair it's pretty it i mean you know whatever does it have the girls from tattoo in it no there are there are uh uh jana frisky's in it i think she's a she's a russian pop star she was okay. either in that or day watch mm. um all right yeah anyway tattoo yeah. where are you what happened <laughs> All the things you said, all the things you said. <laughs> Why don't I turn my head? <laughs> what are they doing these days? I just don't know. Now, Guillermo del Toro, he has another movie that could be added to this list. A little Hellboy, right? Yeah, Hellboy is definitely dark fantasy, I think. Um, I ain't never seen it. Uh, I recommend you watch it. If, you, if you're a Guillermo del Toro fan, uh, I am. it's so del toro e it's got uh all the all the great things you you want from one of his movies and also all the creativity of the hellboy mm. um comic book uh, the mike mignola you know aesthetic but it's very del toro e and you get doug jones playing a fish man before he played a fish man who fucked a lady in another Del Toro movie. Uh-huh. <laughs> huh. That's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, I've been meaning to check those out. I've heard that one, like Hellboy 2, are supposed to be really cool. So yeah, that's yeah, on my list the, of things to watch. I haven't seen the new Hellboy, which would still be dark fantasy, but not Guillermo Del Toro. I haven't seen that one yet with uh, David, uh, the guy from Stranger Things. Um, but it got bad reviews, but I also heard it was actually good. So I'll All check right. that out sometime. Let's find out about it. And one that I would also add to this list is a Tarsum Singh movie called Mirror Mirror, mm. which is fucking crazy, man. It is okay. really, really wild. I mean, it's a Tarsum movie, so it's the kind of thing where you're just like, well, yeah, I want to see all the pretty stuff. I want to see things that are yeah. gold and crazy and shiny and crazy costumes and stuff. Yeah. It's chock full of that stuff, but it definitely draws from a lot of old school, you know, fairy tales, obviously. Um, okay. With Mirror Mirror being the title, you can guess I'll where the main inspiration out. comes from. But man, it's it's cool. I really wish there were just more Tarsum movies in general, but I would say they take a long time yeah, to make say, and plan I'd out. say there's a whole lot of pre-production that goes into making those gorgeous uh, moments happen. Because, I, I mean, that that, uh, that scene in the cell where, like, he's got the, like, that, like, weird uh piercing cape thing and oh, as he yeah. walks he like pulls down the curtains with it like oh man that's crazy the yeah. cell is nuts that's what the we can totally do on the show oh absolutely like, if, if yeah. that's not horror what the fuck's yeah. the matter with you <laughs> yeah it's definitely some vo- form of horror i mean like yeah we'll have to watch it and talk about it because that that one is uh that is that is an interesting 
Because one, I could see somebody calling it a psychological thriller, but like, I don't know. There's so many moments in it that are definitely horror. But let's get to I'd our call number it my one, favorite J Lo movie for sure. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Hold on. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Wait. Hold yeah, on. Okay. There, there is, there is that one with George Clooney. What was that? The El- Elmore Leonard. Uh, fuck. Where he was a, uh, he got out of jail and he was robbing places and shit and oh. trying to get some diamonds yeah. from a place. I know what you're talking I, about. It was good. Anyway, but yeah, I think you're probably right. <laughs> Number one, this is going to come as a huge shock to anybody that listens to the show on the regular. <laughs> Could there be any other, Steve? No. No, it's it's definitely, and this is debatable for sure. Some people are going to be like, that's not dark fantasy. The Lord of the Rings trilogy. Obviously. I mean, come on. Like there, There is no competition in my mind. This is the greatest piece of fantasy film yeah. that's ever fucking been made infinitely watchable like i have watched those movies at least every year since they came out and i just keep coming back for more and if we if we can't agree that the full trilogy is dark fantasy we can at the very least agree that the two towers through its entirety is dark fantasy it I is mean, dark yeah, like, absolutely so the, i can see someone saying well you know the the first and the third are epic fantasy like they they really are bright and you know we don't see a ton of these like dark scary like spider cave moments and whatnot but i i mean in three we get actually that is where shalob is right the the spider cave is in return of the king um right? yes that's correct yeah, yeah it's, okay it's in return, and the city yeah. of the city of the dead like all city that shit. Of the fucking dead man i mean dude there's so much dark stuff in the third one as well yeah, yeah the first so, one's maybe a little bit light on some of those elements maybe, I mean, the, the fucking yeah. balrog jeez dude that's true you can't yeah you really can't exclude any of them they're dark you know? fantasy for sure it's just that, that it was like the lord of the rings is kind of like the beginning of of like fantasy genre I mean, it's not the absolute beginning or anything, but it's like the touchstone beginning for so many people that dark fantasy derives from it. So, like, totally, you can look at it and say it's not entirely dark fantasy, but it's like, well, without it, dark fantasy wouldn't exist. Well, it's kind of like putting, like, you know, the first Black Sabbath album on a list of top heavy metal albums, where it's right. just like, it doesn't sound is as, it heavy as heavy as, as Meshuga. It's like, no, there's not even screaming on it or anything. There's no double bass or whatever, but it's like, well, yeah, but it's the bedrock that everything was built on so yeah. yeah it's fucking metal yeah for sure and we yeah we love the the lord of the rings uh and we're gonna be doing two towers in yeah a we month. are so uh-huh. i'm excited it's it is our th- i think will be our fifth movie that elijah wood is in some way uh on wow yeah i think you're right that we've done this year i we didn't mention it last week with uh, a girl walks home alone at night but he was one of the producers on that he film was. as well yeah you're right yeah. you're right forgot about that we should huh. get elijah wood on the show and just you know what him. it's just crazy enough to work honestly <laughs> you miss all the shots you don't take steve i think we it's should probably true, tweet but- that motherfucker and be like hey man fucking get on here so yeah, that's our top five dark fantasy movies. If we miss your favorite, I want to hear about it in the form of a post over on the Facebook group. Facebook group has had a lot of activity. We've had a lot of new people joining up, uh-huh. joining in the fun. Hey, I'll tell you this, as many people are on there, 
I wish they would all go on Apple Podcasts and write the show a review. We've got hundreds and hundreds of members over there on the Facebook group. We've, we've only got a couple hundred reviews. We need more. We need yeah, we absolutely more. Do. Mm-hmm. Yep, that, that will get us up in the, the search results so that people search, they find it, they start listening, and they go, oh, I hate these cucks, and then they write a bad review. Exactly. And we need that. We need those, yes. <laughs> Otherwise, the libs won't get pwned. If they don't pwn us, <laughs> we'll just keep on libbing. <laughs> but you know what I always say, Steve? Lib and let die. <laughs> or maybe it's lib and kill babies. I don't know. Oh, that's what they do. That's what they do. <laughs> lib and let lib. They wait till the baby's out. This is what they do. I don't know if you heard this. They wait till the baby's out. They put it in a sauna. And like they give it a massage and they like give it some champagne and oh, everything. And just nice. when the baby's like, the world's great, they stab it. And oh, they, they no. twist the knife. And then they say, take <laughs> that baby. And that's what they want. And then take they drink, baby. you know, they drink the adrenochrome and stuff. Always, Cute. yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. This isn't that kind of show, Steve. No. Oh, no. What? No, 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 no. <laughs> We're going to be doing some parlor only episodes for you guys here soon. <laughs> Stuff that won't get it. fucking censored by the liberal media. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> God help the podcast that does that. Ugh, I can't imagine. <laughs> well, anyway, go on the Facebook group. Let us know what we missed. Write some reviews. Helps us out yeah. a ton. Yeah, facebook.com forward slash dead and lovely. Uh, we're also on the, the Twitter and the Instagram uh, at dead lovely pod. Head over there. That's right. That's right. You know what, Steve? What's that? It's the Thanksgiving season and around this time of year, mm-hmm, every mm-hmm. single year, I just get the urge to shine up the old giblets, if you know what I mean. I'm talking about cleaning up my downstairs. You know, before we know it, the Christmas season is going to be upon us, and I'll tell you what, I just can't wait to unwrap my package. Thankfully for us, there's all kinds of Black Friday and Cyber Monday deals from Manscaped. (gasps) It's a holiday miracle! Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Oh my lord, we're bringing technology to the sack. Ben, I know you are a you are a manscaper yourself. I I am as well. Uh and Ben, I have had in the past some atrocious occurrences oh, while lord using of mercy. a trimmer on my downstairs area. In Ooh. fact, I've had some bloody experiences. Oh, Lord of mercy. Nobody wants no part of that. No, no, you don't. And I know some of you out there thinking, it's a it's a crazy old time. I don't even get out ever. Why do I need to manscape? Let me tell you this. When you look good, you feel good. Mm. And when your boys look good, boy, do they feel good. I'll tell you that. you doggone right. you doggone right, Steve. Just because you're in quarantine... Don't mean you don't need to be clean, y'all. But Steve, let me let you in on a little secret here, because I know we got a lot of listeners on the show here that are saying, but Ben, but Steve, I ain't got no balls of my own. I don't need what? this manscaping. Let me tell here. you what, ladies, this can be for you too, because I'm going to tell you what, you can get this thing and take advantage of using that up before somebody creates womanscaped and starts charging you three times as much for the same stuff. Y'all know how this works. Listen to me, dead and lovelies. Manscaped is forever changing the grooming game with their perfect package. 
3.0. What's in there? You get the Lawn Mower 3.0 for lawn mowing your nards area. It's skin safe. I used it. No tugs, no nicks. I enjoyed it. You can even create a little less mess by using that thing in the shower or getting one of those magic mat disposable shaving mats they got. Catch all that hair as it drops. And let's not forget about the Crop Preserver. Anti-chafing ball deodorant? Do what? And moisturizer. This is amazing. You're putting deodorant on your armpits. Get some deodorant for your balls. What else are you going to get in that perfect package 3.0? Some anti-chafing performance boxer briefs. I don't know how they've done it. It's time to get this perfect package 3.0. Get clean like Mean Jeans Bald Head. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code DEAD20. That's D-E-A-D-2-0 at manscaped.com. So this holiday season, be sure to trim the tree and trim up your balls with Manscaped. Your balls will thank you. And so will the people that love your balls. But you know what, Steve? I think it's about time we tell these busters what we think about Guillermo Del Tomo's <laughs> Panis mm-hmm. Labyrinth. <laughs> Panis Labyrinth. That's the one we're talking about today, right? Wow. Panis. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know what a panis is, right? No. That is uh, that is the medical term for a fupa. You don't say. Yeah, that is the medical term for it. There's a medical term for a fupa. Well, those can be labyrinthine in nature, Steve. <laughs> Find your way around one of those things can be tricky. <laughs> Tell you that. It's very true, yeah. You got to be Steve, careful in the Panis this region. Is, <laughs> this is a movie from 2006. Yep. It's not exactly a super fresh one, but was this the first no. time you seen this film? No, no, no. Saw this back in the day, of course. This was, you know, uh, nominated for six Academy Awards, I think. So it was, you know, it was pretty uh, well talked about back in the day. And um, it's, it was told to me that it was a horror movie before I watched it. I'd say it's dark fantasy, as we were just talking about. And we'll talk about the difference in a little bit. But um, I remember watching it and being a little confused... Uh, you know, because the bottle scene happens, and I was like, oh, shit, this is a horror yeah, movie. Yeah, this uh, just got fucking real. Yeah, but, um, you know, I remember at the end being a little underwhelmed, not really getting it. Uh, but I'd say my tune has changed a good bit. See, that's kind of similar to my response the first time that I saw it, which was probably around that same time period. I might have seen it in theaters. I think I did see it in theaters, actually. That makes sense. And... I went into it thinking it was a fantasy movie. Because, like, whenever okay. you watch the trailers for the movie, they were just all the fantasy parts. Right. And then the movie starts, and it's just like, so during the Spanish Civil War, and I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> all right. And there's honestly, like, relatively, you know, by comparison, pretty little amount of time spent in the fantasy world of, uh, of this flick. So Yeah, it's pretty small amount of, of the movie. If, if... At the end, the fantasy world isn't real. Right. We'll have, yeah. we'll have to get into that and talk about mm-hmm. how often we're actually in the fantasy world and if it if it's a real world or whatever. But yeah, you're right. It, it, it The fantasy elements take on such a smaller role than uh, what the previews would, would give. Like, I hadn't seen a preview. I thought it was a horror movie and was very confused. 
Yeah. So the first time I saw it, I was like, I don't know if the, I don't know if I liked it or not, just because it wasn't what I was expecting. But you know, watching it again for the second time last night, many years later, knowing what I was getting into, I think I had a different experience second time around. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I I watched it uh, a couple times through this, and it really like as I said last week with um, uh, the girl walks home alone at night. When you know I have ADD, it's hard for me whenever it's subtitled so i have to pay like real close attention and because i had to pay real close attention like uh like i just found a lot of depth in this movie that i obviously did not see the first time through Mm, i'll tell you what steve we're just doing foreign flicks all over the place when's the next time we're gonna do something what speaks english what is this is this is this podcast now el el muerte e Bonita? Is that our show? Huh? Yep. <laughs> yep. That's Is that it. our show? <laughs> yep. Bienvenidos a El Muerte y... What was it? Oh, shit. Bonita. Bonita. Bonita, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's all we got now. The we don't even speak English on this show no more. Uh, we don't watch no American movies at all. You know what? Next week, we'll get to something with Hulk Hogan in it. How about that? <laughs> okay. How about that? <laughs> nah, that'll be as American as you can get. <laughs> yeah. So this time going into it, knowing what I was getting into, I, I think I enjoyed it way more way 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 more yeah. i mean obviously the first time that i i watched it there was a lot of things to like about it i mean the visuals are just absolutely stunning but now seeing how the whole fantasy element plays into this movie uh amongst the you know the gritty scenes of the reality and the the spanish civil war and all that stuff that this is taking place and i think it made a lot more sense and was a lot more enjoyable to me yeah yeah for sure and uh doing some research into the spanish civil war helped me a bit and so hopefully i can provide some some bit of of context for that it's very i didn't do none now steve i assume it's some people wanted pie and other people wanted tapas and they fought about it and quarreled is that it (laughs) It, okay, well, there's a there's a little bit more to it than that, but that was pretty much the basis. It. Yeah, that was pretty much. <laughs> They're both dish. great things. It's worth yeah. fighting over. Yeah, one side was like, I want a dish the whole family can enjoy, and the other was like, <laughs> you can have small plates, and all of you can have what you want. Everybody gets something out of it. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you know how we do things here? Have you had that? <laughs> oh man. <laughs> <laughs> at a restaurant i th- i assume i order food and you bring it out uh anyway <laughs> i ordered tapas and it come out and i was like where's the rest of it what i w- i wondered why it didn't cost too much <laughs> anyway tapas uh, is so paradise <laughs> the spanish civil war is of course very complicated as all civil wars are but essentially comes down to the uh the side that uh was for uh socialism and reform and uh the side that was for uh, fascism and the fascists are obviously the bad guys good guy oh okay yeah. bad guys got it bad guys yeah so the 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 fascist side was not only uh nationalists and uh conservatives you know uh in the spanish sense but uh internationally they had the support of the nazis so you know they were good people right well good thing nothing like that will ever happen again steve Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) a populist president with the support of the nazis and a whole bunch of people who don't see a problem with that i don't know 
anyway. I mean, the only thing that could get crazier is if he also had the backing of the church. <laughs> he absolutely had the backing of the Catholic Damn Church. It. Yeah. That's just crazy. How could all those and things you know, happen at the same time? You know what's real interesting is that historically theorists think it's probably likely that they wouldn't have gotten into killing so many of the people on the other side were it not for the church. Oh, I thought you were going to say, if not for you crazy kids and that Scooby-Doo. I thought that's where nope, that was heading. Nope, Sorry. Scooby, Scooby had nothing to do with it. It was the Pope. <laughs> he Scooby uh, didn't. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Scooby don't. So this movie really deals with the, uh, it's, it's dealing with the, the Spanish civil war with the, the, uh, conservative nationalist side being evil and the church being evil. And um, knowing those three things, I think, is probably enough to help your understanding of the movie. The more you look into it, of course, the more each little thing might make more sense. And I'll try to talk about some of those things I think are in here. But I think that's enough of a context to really understand a little bit better what's going on here. Because if you don't know anything about the Spanish Civil War, it just looks like, okay, there are soldiers and then there are other people and then there are people up in the hills that are mad about something <laughs> that is what it looks like You're yeah because right. it's never explained but they're mad about uh being hunted down and killed um, so i would be yeah, mad about that I that makes me unhappy whenever that yeah. happens i'm like oh man this shit again yeah yeah it's it's no fun so <laughs> that that is the the world that this is in but like guillermo del toro was less you know the story as it sort of came about was less about the Spanish Civil War and more about the the fantasy elements and telling this story of this girl who came from the underworld, was a princess in the underworld, escaped to uh, to our plane and experienced pain and death and her soul has been stuck here on Earth and there are these sites that her father in the underworld the king have have established to has established to uh get her back whenever she inhabits a body again mm -hmm. so that's that's the story he initially started with that's the story he had written down in his notebooks and like oh. you know his doodles and stuff but as he fleshed it out you know he fleshed it out in a way that uh goes back to his movie devil's backbone which mm, is okay. I also seen that one. okay i watched that one this week okay and i i had seen it before i and i won't talk too much about it because i i, I know you haven't seen it and honestly i it, it is a movie you don't want ruined for you um, all right all right i know it has something to do with some like an orphanage during the yeah spanish civil war yeah same time yeah same sort of thing like you know the bad guys are on the bad side as i just said good guys on the good side um Basically, what happened was he made that movie, and the movie is about, like, you know, innocence in these times of terrible uh, uh, human uh, animal savagery, basically. Yeah, yeah. The senselessness of war. Yeah, and how innocence can be affected by these things. What happened was he made Devil's Backbone, and then, like, before it was released 9-11 happened Ooh. and it, it changed his perspective on things and he kind of wanted a second run at it so really? like yeah so he took this story he'd been developing and 
sort of developed what he was dealing with from Devil's Backbone. So it is like a spiritual sequel and definitely uh, worth watching in reference to Pan's Labyrinth, uh, aside from just watching it for, you know, the pleasure of enjoying it. It is a good movie. It's well worth watching. Hmm. Uh, it it does complement this movie very well. And this movie, I think, takes takes it further definitely you can tell how angry he got because of of 9-11 like how how much more disgusted he was at the way that innocence can be really just destroyed and perverted by all of these evil individuals in the world wow yeah, yeah so that is definitely dark yeah yeah so the darkness is there for sure uh the fantasy elements though i mean like this is there's just so much here from like you know we we talked about uh the labyrinth which is an obvious sort of uh inspiration to this oh there, yeah there's a labyrinth in here there's a labyrinth in here there are elements about a girl taking her baby brother to you know uh be involved in this this whole labyrinth situation though it's again it's very these are just nods i think you know i think they're nods to legend i think they're nods to a whole lot of other things alice in wonderland definitely a lot of alice in wonderland in here i even get some peter pan and like hook elements in here with definitely uh, the captain and his obsession with the ticking clock and all that stuff it's very captain hook and uh definitely inspired a lot by chronicles of narnia this oh. is another situation in which um, fresh information or a new thing gave Guillermo del Toro a, a, a new perspective. He was a big fan of C.S. Lewis. And then he found out C.S. Lewis was super Christian. And then he started to see how C.S. Lewis's stuff was all just very clear Christian allegory and became less of a fan. Oh, so Guillermo is like black metal as fuck. Yeah. Yeah, he's awesome. <laughs> wow, really? Yeah. yeah. So he he uh he then obviously this this does a lot of line the witch in the wardrobe type of stuff being set, you know, during roughly the same time. Uh you huh, know, being yeah. being about uh, a child escaping into fantasy, uh this fantasy actually going awry and things being scarier than uh, originally expected and uh, it, it's definitely got those elements and still has some religious elements, but hmm. it's all to expose religion for the sham it is. Like, the religious elements are never like, you know, Christianity is good and right. It's always like, and here these uh, asshole priests are eating this dinner while they talk about uh, having to, you know, give out these meager rations to the poor and not really caring about the poor in the least bit. Yeah, that's something that I kind of noticed this time, too. There was just a lot of, like, man, these people that are saying that they're doing the good thing that are just fucking awful. (laughs) Yep, absolutely awful. So this is, um, I mean, there's a lot of, like, context to know to really, like, get into the movie, I think. So I understand maybe why the first time you saw it and the first time I saw it, we weren't getting it. Yeah, totally. It's funny you mentioned the Narnia connection, too, because apparently he passed up on the opportunity to direct the the first of those extremely popular yeah. Narnia movies so he could do this. Like, this movie was such a labor of love for him that 
He put up, apparently, like, a ton of his own money for it. He accepted not taking any, like, money off of it. Like, any any points on the back end, anything like that. Like, he didn't make a cent off of this movie, apparently. Uh, it, if anything, it cost him money to make. And he still is like, yeah, it was worth it. It was a good move to make this. Just because it was such a passion project for him. Yeah. Well, and I mean, it definitely paid off for him in, you know, the award nominations and stuff and getting his his uh, name out there for sure. Oh, yeah. And it's a very uncompromising vision of what he had in his head. Apparently, he is known for being a extremely meticulous pre-planner, um, kind of like along the same lines as um, Peter Jackson and stuff like that, where uh-huh. like he, he storyboards everything out and just has sketchbooks and stuff full of drawings of what things should look like and what characters should dress like. He's very, very, very meticulous in everything that he does. And, um, you know, I guess that really, really pays off when you see this movie and see that uncompromising vision where he's like, no, this whole thing is going to be in Spanish. Like they easily could have made this in, in English for a lot of the world to enjoy, but he's like, it wouldn't be right if it was that way. This is a story about Spain it should be in Spanish, uh, which is a bold move, especially when you're putting up your own money to make it, knowing that like, hey, you're putting in a language that most Americans don't get, and a lot of Americans are too lazy to fucking read a movie while they watch it. So is it worth it? And he was like, yeah, sure, it's worth it. Yeah. Bold. He also insisted on being involved in the subtitling because he hated really? the subtitles for The Devil's Backbone. Oh, so they're not really super accurate. And he's like, okay, I need to make these right. Yeah, yeah. So that's, I I mean, you know, I don't think at any point watching this movie that anything was said that I, the subtitle did not explain to me. Like there's so many times I've seen movies where the subtitles would be like basically just a word for word translation of what yeah. is said. So anytime there's any sort of metaphor or anything, it's like, I have no idea what that means. Uh, <laughs> Like uh, actually, on um, uh, a girl walks home alone at night, the the dad calls Ati a blind cat at one point. I don't know what yeah. the fuck that means. I looked it yeah. up. I couldn't find anything. Like so, like t- this movie throughout. There's not a moment where I'm like, oh, I don't get what's happening. So obviously, his his work on yeah subtitling increased the readability of the movie for people who don't speak Spanish. Mm-hmm. That's right. And his background in special effects and stuff really oh, yeah. paid off here. Yeah. He's, he worked under, um, oh, shit, what's his name? Dick Smith, the guy who did... Dick Smith. Yeah, Dick Smith is the guy who did uh, The Exorcist and Godfather 1 and 2. Oh, and, nice. Uh, recently, we covered Death Becomes Her. He also did that. So That's right, Del Toro yeah. studied under this guy for uh, quite a while before actually becoming a director uh, with Kronos in 93 and then didn't I mean you know Kronos was 93 then Mimic was 97 Devil's Backbone was 2001 so he was like he wasn't making he wasn't directing movies all the time throughout that he was uh, also working on other stuff writing and, and special effects so like he he's his eye for special effects is specifically honed like he he knows exactly what he wants and I think that shines in this movie Oh, definitely so, man, because, you know, whether you like the movie or not, I don't think you could come away from this and not be blown away 
by especially some of the right. really memorable fantasy creatures in here, like the fawn uh-huh. and the pale man and stuff the like pale that. The pale man, the, for sure, yeah. Yeah, dude, the designs and the executions are just amazing. Like, I remember the first time that I saw it, the pale man really stuck out to me, but this time watching it through, I was in awe of the level of detail that is in that fawn, fawn costume, yeah. dude. And yeah. I think, too, it's one of the, those things where, like, because it looks so good, I probably assumed that it was fake. I probably assumed it was CG. And now I come to find out that that whole fucking costume is practical. Like, even the way that he has the crazy, like, goat legs that, like, extend back. Like, they green screened his his shins and stuff. His shins were, like, in this costume rig, kind of standing on his tiptoes, more or less, on quasi-stilts. And they just green screened his legs out. So everything that you're seeing is real. It's almost like when you find out, like, all the stuff you saw in Pumpkinhead was like legit and you're like how the fuck did they do that on screen um it's so good it can't be real but it is it's insane and and the amount of like servos and motors and stuff like that they put into the head with all the moving parts and the ears flapping around and the eye and mouth movements and stuff it is it is wild it's just one of those things man that when you're doing a fantasy movie it is absolutely worth it to go the extra mile to make it practical, make oh, sure. it real. Yeah, I mean, good lord, it really stands out in this flick to me. Yeah the the Mandrake scene particularly, I yeah I, the I just assumed it was CG, and then watching it through again, I was like, no, if that's CG, that's the best CG ever because For like real, right? they have like they have it like out of focus, and she like touches it and move in focus. Like if that wasn't actually there on screen with her it wouldn't look as good as it does so that that was that was something practical but i mean you know they touched stuff up with cg obviously you know there's oh, yeah there's definitely there is cg in here for CG sure in know. here yeah and like the the fairies and stuff those are cg yeah. but uh predominantly uh practical effects i mean specifically the gore effects look amazing and oh, are practical man. dude and there is some gore in this movie and and it's kind of like you said earlier it's like is this really necessarily a horror movie i don't really think so but dude there is gore and violence in this that puts most all horror movies to shame there is some truly shocking and disturbing scenes of violence like what is the the scene of violence in this movie that stands out the most to you the bottle scene is just brutal and it's It's out of nowhere Like, you hadn't seen anything that brutal in the movie so far, and then suddenly the captain is just, I mean, collapsing that guy's fucking face with the butt end of a bottle. Like, I know that you always see in movies, like, a bar fight, and a guy smashes a beer bottle over another guy's head. That doesn't usually happen that way. Like, those glass bottles and stuff, especially wine bottles, especially the butt end of a wine bottle, those things are heavy duty. If you really smushed somebody with one of those things, you're talking brutal damage and it won't shatter yeah. and <laughs> if it did shatter mix. even more damage so like, oh god yeah. yeah uh guillermo del toro apparently he and his buddies were in a bar fight and one of his buddies got hit with the butt end of a bottle and oh. that's what gave him the idea because he go. was surprised it didn't shatter uh, wow yeah it's uh it is a brutal moment it it's the moment that really establishes vidal as the villain that he is and like i mean he's such a well-written villain oh yeah he is the fact that like we're already 
you know, a little, you know, we, we see her like, um, uh, Ophelia reach out her left hand to shake his hand and he just corrects her and he's kind of a dick, but it's like, he's not terrible. And, and that's kind of the thing that you notice about him throughout is that in, when interacting with everyone else, he's not exactly terrible, but when he's doing his job, he is a horrendous monster of a person. Well, here's the thing. That almost makes him scarier because yes, he can he turn it on just, and off. Exactly. Like if he was that cold and cruel to everybody all the time and that one dimensional, yeah, that's one thing, but... Whenever he can turn, like you said, on a dime and be this different person and sit down and have a meal with these people and be courteous and cordial to other people. And then this other guy is like, oh, you're on the other side. Cool. I'll smash your fucking nose in with a bottle inch by inch until your face is mush. And for then, doing nothing. Yeah. For like, doing nothing. Yeah. And then finds out he was wrong. Like they had been hunting rabbits. The rabbits were in that guy's pouch and stuff the whole time. Doesn't even care. He just goes on and does his thing after that. Like, it's actually scarier the fact that he has those two extremes to his personality. The, this was also based uh, on a, a actual story from the Spanish Civil War of one of these fascists uh, uh, beating a guy's face because he didn't tip his hat. Hmm. Serious so, offense. Yeah, that's what you get when you have fascists is uh, they make the rules. So that doesn't sound fun. That no, sounds, it uh, doesn't. Yeah, count, counteractive to the the human experience and yeah. individualism. <laughs> yeah. I think. I think so too. Yeah. Huh. So uh, yeah, that that scene I think is just one of the most brutal. What about you? What do you think is the most brutal scene? Dude, that one is rough, but also the the scene where Mercedes sticks that fucking knife in his oh, cheek. Man rips it through i mean that's bad enough but then when homeboy stitches it back together himself i was in a ball on the couch like i've never had stitches dude i've never had stitches oh, at all okay. so then to watch somebody stitching up their own face wound like that yep holy shit man i like my toes were curling up watching that I stuff bet. <laughs> oh man but him getting that like joker smile yeah that's oh. oh. and then it's also just like so I think intentionally symbolic that the only way this guy will get a fucking smile on his face yeah. is if it's fucking carved out with a knife, you know? Yeah, he's, yeah, he's, um, he's got, like, the one time I think he comes close to smiling is when the doctor suggests what if his baby isn't a boy. Yeah. And it's like, it's, he's like, come on, which, like, the idea is like, I'm I'm not, I guess, unmasculine enough to produce a, a girl child. Like, I guess so. It's some machismo type of thing. Like there's there's something going on there where it's just like the concept that his sperm could create a female child is As just if. laughable to him. Yeah, that's the only time he comes close to a smile. I think so. You're right. Yeah, that that scene, like the the cutting the smile, so like brutal. I, you know, I have, I like, there's moments throughout here where I feel like things happen that just don't fit logically for me. The fact that she doesn't kill him doesn't fit logically entirely for me. I do, I, I can kind of, I can understand maybe the argument, like, she's not a killer, but she yeah, does but end I mean, up killing him. 
Yeah. But then maybe is it that she was pushed to the brink because Ophelia was killed by him? Like, I, hmm. but still, in that moment, everything is at risk, and all she has to do is stab him. Well, and the and thing is, is, by leaving him alive and then walking away, it's like, well, she knows he's going to go tell on her, and then right. all those guys are going to come after her. Yeah, that is kind of just like a logical, like, yeah. well, geez, you, you had him, like, literally on the ground with a knife to his fucking heart. Like, why didn't you just do the job then and there? Hmm. That Yeah, that moment's a little bit weird for me. And also the fact that she walks toward all the men instead of going around the corner and behind the house. But we've seen uh, spatially behind that house is is the woods so she could have just gone straight toward the mountains i'd slip out that way i think that seems yeah. like a better a better escape route to me man but again I mean, the scene worked so <laughs> that's true and also too like that storehouse where all that scene takes place in is also where we see that prisoner getting tortured yeah and oh, dude his hand brutal. ends up like demolished like it's it's up Ugh. there with like fucking green room in terms of just like yeah hand destruction <laughs> oh yeah it's so yeah, it's hard wonder, to look at what's that other movie that we did recently where a guy got like a crowbar to his hand oh god and it just, like, evil dead the evil dead 2013 yeah oh, oh yeah that's it yeah oh, oh fuck man yeah. yeah those are those are wounds that really hit me hard and there's some boom headshots in here too man yes Woo. yeah there are and they they look good too like when he gets shot in the face like the entrance wound is just that small bit like because like hole, so yeah. yeah uh you know so many movies just assume every bullet just makes your head explode and <laughs> that's just not the case it, it looked so much more accurate and and right and also brutal because of that because it feels real instead of feeling comical and and crazy yeah totally yeah the violence in this never seems ridiculous or completely out of place right. or um overdone in any way it seems yeah. like these are like fucking faces of death videos that you're watching or yes. something right yeah which is yeah that's that's what adds and that's why i think it's got that great balance then of like extreme like reality reality to the point of being surreal like just mm. like is how what this happens but you know it does and then the fantasy side that is like it, it seems to be completely separated from what's going on in, in the real world, but there there's actually like a lot of connection between what's going on there in the fantasy world and what's going on in the real world. Uh, to the point where, you know, obviously the question is, is she like actually in a fantasy world or is, is it real? Yeah, because there's so many things in the fantasy world that you can tell she got the ideas from based on things right. that were in the real world. Yeah, so like the first task that she has to deal with the 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 frog under the tree. Uh, it's it's under this tree, killing its roots and eating up all the bugs. Very and, Legend of Zelda fucking yeah. task to complete. Yeah. You got to go feed the frog three precious stones. Like, yeah, which Zelda well, game is that from? <laughs> and and del toro is a huge fan of comics and and games and stuff like that so he, he may have even gotten it from a video game what but, a nerd yeah he he's definitely though juxtaposing it with the dinner scene where 
all these people are letting the the tree of their society go to shit mm. while they eat everything up. Yeah, and they're talking about like, well, I don't know, maybe these fucking food vouchers are too generous, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, uh-huh. The, the fact is they're starving their own people to starve their enemies. Again, this is what happens with fascists. But anyway. <laughs> not good. Not good. So, uh, the that those two things are being juxtaposed. And then while that happens, we also have the situation with the key where... Mercedes has a key to the um, storage, the storage area. Yeah. yeah, and he takes that key from her, and then uh, Ophelia gets this key from the the frog. So there's then this key mm. in both stories that kind of... Uh, Being taken from a greedy fat man, basically. Yeah, that yeah. then sort of is intertwined with the rest of the story. So, like... Hmm what he he does is he kind of it's like it's almost like a fairy tale um like we get the three tasks sort of thing which is common in fairy tales and stories of the sort three tasks that you have to complete yeah the rule of threes is pretty general with most uh uh western storytelling and and jokes and things like that yeah three wishes uh, from aladdin's lamp right stuff like that. exactly yeah. so so the idea that she has to go through these three tasks uh, is also being reflected in the real world where we see uh, Mercedes, she has to deal with uh, getting the medicine to the doctor. Then she has to deal with getting uh, the doctor to the place to have his, that, that, that one guy, Fran, Francois, Frenchie. To have his his uh, leg amputated, and then yeah. she she tries to escape with Ophelia, and then she is caught. So like there are these three different tasks that she basically goes through that lead I didn't up think to about that. Yeah, yeah. So like there there are these reflections going on in the real world throughout, but there the fantasy world and the real world also start to blend like visually like the way he shows the fantasy world is much more warm and like like circular and archy yeah things like yeah. that that's something i was gonna say i love the visual language of the two worlds in the movie and how they're very yeah. different like they feel like the same world it doesn't feel like you're like wait what the fuck movie am i in now like they look like they belong in the same universe but they're just yeah. to two totally different takes on yeah uh, again the visual language yeah, and uh, like when she's in the fantasy world, it's warmer, and outside it's it's darker. So there's warmer, like reddish, orangish colors, and on the outside world, it's often blue and stark. Yeah, so, very like, cold. Yeah, those things slowly though throughout the film begin to kind of merge. So like you'll see elements of the fantasy world in the real world like uh on the banister of the stairs you see the the fawn's face as one of the little whatever you call it at the end of a banister a little knobby things like a new yeah, post yeah little knobby things yeah <laughs> i didn't uh, notice that and, and you start to see like all like whenever she comes to the fawn in the labyrinth it's in the the bluish light so now like the fawn is supposed to be in the real world at that moment, but then we see that uh, Vidal doesn't see it, which is where, like, 
most of the question about whether or not the fantasy world is real or not comes from because he doesn't see the fawn and that yeah. is it's shown in the real world visual language we've been shown the whole time but yeah. it also showed it that way from her perspective that's the only time that we see her talking to nothing like we've seen yeah. her scene from her perspective and she's talking to the fawn then to the captain she's talking to nothing but then it's one of those things too where it's like you can kind of explain it away either way because it seems as though the the adults, especially the fascists and the captain and stuff like that, uh, have this real disrespect for imaginations. Like they have no yes. creativity. They have no imagination or whimsy about them. Like he sees everything that she's reading as being like junk that she's putting into her head. Yeah. Uh, he very much discourages free thought, which again, mm -hmm. fascism, you know? Yeah, exactly. So you're like, maybe he doesn't see the fun because he has no imagination like he has no way to process that so maybe that's why uh he doesn't see it there at the end but i don't know it's not really yeah. clear and i'm glad that it's not yeah uh people have also theorized that you know because he's drugged maybe that's why he can't see it because she hmm. you know poured that um uh, oh, sleeping yeah. aid into his, his the jesus juice if, if you take these sort of things as official guillermo del toro believes that the fantasy world was real okay yeah so, but uh, uh, he, you know, hasn't made some sort of definitive statement because, uh, uh, you know, you don't do that as an artist. You don't say this is how you are supposed to read my work. But he thinks of the fantasy world as real. But he also presented it in a way that you could see it either way because I think there's value to that. If the fantasy world isn't real, it is this young girl trying to escape the horrors of her real life. Yeah, and that's kind of the thing that I got out of it the first time that I saw it. was like, you know, this is a world that she's escaping into because reality is so bleak. But, you know, it's like I'll go total Harry Potter on it and be like, well, just because it's imaginary, because it's in your head, does that make it not real, you know? Exactly, yeah. Like, the the stuff that she goes through all seems very real to her. I mean, she definitely uh, got super dirty at one point. Whether there was a huge frog, we can debate, but she definitely got real, real muddy somehow yeah. <laughs> somehow or another <laughs> yeah i yeah i think i think that is one way to look at it for sure that no matter what her experience is is that i think there's also a way to see it as the um the labyrinth and the fantasy world are also a representation of this world that used to be before the civil war and that mm the the labyrinth being out in the woods and these uh the the rebels being out in the woods uh are they're sort of equating the two and saying like these rebels oh, are okay. fighting for this world this more fantastical world where everyone gets to pursue these sort of things and pursue their imagination pursue what yeah. they want to be um, you know, through, they're, through, they're bastions of free thought, in other words. Yeah. You know, as I said, the Spanish Civil War is much more complicated than I could put it right now. But you're, you're definitely talking about one side that was predominantly the artists and the people who wanted uh, socialism. Uh, and they did not want these strict rules and they didn't want the church and they didn't want all of these things to. Uh, and uh, the other side did. They wanted absolute control. They wanted uh, an authoritarian regime. So it, it is easy to see how you could uh, equate the fantasy world and 
and uh, the the rebels. So there, there's a lot of different ways you can see it. And then there's also just the possibility that the fantasy world is absolutely real. She is a princess from the underworld, and that's what's going on. Maybe if that's, that's the, story, the case. Huh? Yeah, if that's the case, it's just fucking interesting. Just an interesting, cool story uh, that still has all those different potential meanings, but also uh, has something to it that uh, is otherworldly and doesn't need explanation, perhaps. Yeah. It's a really cool way to look at that movie where it's like it, it makes sense either way. Like it makes sense if it is all this true fantasy and she is this reincarnated princess and all that stuff. It also makes total sense if it's just like, man, the world has a lot of fucked up stuff in it. I need to escape and get away to this land of my imagination and all these things that, you know, my subconscious has picked up in the real world and things I've picked up from these books that I read and stuff. Uh, it makes sense either way, you know? Yeah, for sure. What do you think about that pale man in this movie, Steve? Okay, all right, yeah, so the pale man. We talked about the frog uh, and what it may represent. The pale man, uh, he's, uh, Del Toro says that it's a, a representation of the Catholic Church. Very obviously um, uh, interested in children. Uh, perverse. Oh. Yeah. Stigmata-like uh, wounds on the palms. Yeah, stigmata-like wounds on the palms. Uh, the just disgusting, flabby body. The I I think specifically like the way the legs are shaky and amuscular, like they're just almost like bone entirely. Where well, that's the thing the, about him is is he's so well fed, but yet is still emaciated and hungry. Yes, because he always wants more. more yeah, right. Yeah, mm-hmm. never enough. Yeah, I I think that's exactly what he was getting at. Is like this this creature that always has to consume and. If you take something from it, it's taking more from you. Like, you, you can't yeah. ever get anything from it. Even if it's a fucking grape off of his table. Yeah. <laughs> that, that is full of more food than he could ever even consume. Yep. Yeah, I think there's, like, there's definitely, like, other ways you might look at it. Like, there's the, the fact, you know, there's a Japanese monster called a Tenome, which has eyes in its hands, and maybe you could see something there. Maybe you could connect it even to Crumb of Ah Real Monsters, which is where Ooh. I think that Del Toro probably got his inspiration. I mean, uh, it makes you wonder, because as much of a nerd as he is about other stuff, I think yeah. that's possible. Yeah, absolutely, because, the, the, you know, that, that show, Ah Real Monsters, like, you look back at that art, it was very unique. It was by the, the uh, guy who did Rugrats, like, very interesting, entertaining, but also uh, weird, dark fantasy for kids. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh but you you look at it, there's there's a lot of different ways maybe you could see it, but like I I think in this case I'm gonna go with Del Toro entirely and be like, okay, yeah, that's the Catholic Church, because that is the clearest uh understanding of what it is. The fact that he he uses his hands to see, like this is something that my wife will get right now. My wife is a picker. I don't know if any of you out there have I'm a picker myself, Steve. I like to pick uh, up that old guitar and pick out a few, huh? You might. Others of you might have significant others who love to pop zits and things. Oh, that kind. No, no, that's not me at yeah. all. <laughs> not to you at all. I know. Uh-uh. No, no, no. You like Pass. to pick and grin. Uh, yeah, pick and grin. Uh, pick and grin. That's more my kind of thing. Yeah, my wife uh, will often say, like, 
she, she, like if I have a zit, she'll be like, I just want to look at it. And her hands will start going to it. And I'll always say, like, uh. you look with your eyes, not your hands. And <laughs> I know this is a weird way to uh, think of this, but I think that's maybe what he's getting at with the eyes on the hands that like the, the way that they molest children, like come over here. Let me see that, you know, Ugh, and they're yeah, really see with my hands. Yeah. They're, Ugh. they're very grabby. And that is, that is their method of taking in the world. Yeah. So no I, me gusta, no me gusta. Yeah, so th- that monster is, is definitely that, I, I I think. And then, you know, our third the thing is uh, the test, is the test of whether or not she will shed innocent blood. Because she is innocent. Will she corrupt her own innocence to get the thing she wants? Yeah, will she give up even a drop of her little baby brother's innocent right. blood like he doesn't even ask for much he's not like let's kill this fucking baby he's like we just need a drop of blood and that's it yeah and, and she won't her do it. being a moral virtuous person is like even a drop is too much yep which is the point of the movie right like the point of the movie is that if if your side if your belief needs to kill other people to make it happen then maybe it's wrong maybe you need to step back and see that your fantasy is is wrong and not real or well you know maybe it's a test uh in this case that will by not doing it by seeing where where your political ideology is going where it's leading to the death of innocence by seeing that and refusing to do it do you then, are you succeeding? Are you helping society in some way? Are you making a better world? Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I think like, you know, again, as I said, this is, he, he was definitely writing about innocence and, and the way that innocence can be corrupted in this world. And this is, you know, uh, incorruptible innocent who uh, reminds everyone uh, watching what it is you're actually fighting for like these these adults that maybe even you don't know anything about the spanish civil war these adults fighting their wars i mean maybe even it is better you don't know uh these adults fighting their wars is uh, it's confusing and it seems that you know people are dying for nothing and this innocent view is able to put perspective on that like to make it to show the horror of it while also trying to make something beautiful out of it Hmm, i think that i mean i think that's what we all do with the trauma of our childhood right like we try to take something horrible and try to make something good out of it yeah well i mean that's where so many great works of art come from you know yeah so yeah i I think uh, i think that is what it's getting at in the end like her innocence and her her desire to stick to her principles and who she is um is is the ultimate goal is is uh beyond this uh petty war that's going on it's beyond all these other adult issues that that they think are so much more important it it really is about this purity and and not harming others mhm i think so i think there's just a very clear message that del toro is saying throughout here where it's just like whether it's the fascist government whether it's the yeah the catholics and their influence of power it's just like don't nobody tell me how to live my life he might be american he might be american no he needs to get tested for american he's north american 
close enough, oh, right? Yeah, yeah, it's close enough. <laughs> it's close enough. Now, what do you think about the cast in this, Steve? This is always one of those issues where it's like, it's a little bit tricky to talk about cast, considering that the entire yeah. thing is in Spanish, obviously. So it's like, I don't, are, I, I wouldn't know if they were blowing the accents and stuff like that, but like the <laughs> physical portrayals and stuff like that, I think are all fantastic. I assume that, that all the dialogue is good. Uh, I assume so too. They seem to be, uh, at, at the very least, physically acting well. So yeah, <laughs> uh, I would say that uh, of all the people in here, Doug Jones will be most familiar to non-Spanish speaking audiences because, uh, you know, he's was in Hocus Pocus, he's in uh, Hellboy, Crimson Peak, uh, all sorts oh, of stuff. Oh shit, in, really? Yeah. Yeah, Shape of Water, etc. He's he's done all the all the creatures you can imagine. That's so cool. We, yeah, he's the one who'd be most recognizable. But we also have like uh, Mercedes Maribel Verdu is in E2 Mama Tambien, which is a real uh, good movie. Relatively yeah. popular. I've seen it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also got uh, Ophelia Ivana Baquero, who is in uh, the Shannara Chronicles, which is was on MTV, uh, is a popular fantasy novel series that they tried at Game of Thrones, but kind of messed it up. A oh lot. no! Yeah. Oh, so kind of like Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah, kind of exactly like kinda Game like of Thrones. That. Yeah. yeah. From what I understand, the guy that plays the captain was previously more of a melodramatic or comedic type of actor, and a lot of people really doubted it when he got cast in this role because this is apparently not really his kind of thing that he usually does. But man, he is cold as hell and super intimidating yeah. in this. Yeah. Yeah, he's so good. I would say, like, uh, other than just the writing, like, he, the way that he portrays this character, because he's so good at the turn on a dime moments. Like, he's, oh, yeah. And that, that's got to be real hard to do. Uh, he, yeah, he, the, the calmness in the torture scenes and stuff, just all of it. He's so good. I, yeah, big, he is truly fan. a good villain in this, man. I forgot how. How fantastic he was in this, man. And really, it's just... It's one of those deals where the whole movie just looks so fucking good. Whether you're in the fantasy world, whether you're in the real world or whatever. It's like so much thought went into all of these sets. And again, judging by Guillermo's extreme amount of detail that he went into in his notebooks and pre-production and stuff like that. It just seems like everything is deliberate. Like how the captain's chambers, even the interior of them, that have these big unexplainable gears and shit on the walls it's like he's in a clock it's almost like he is he's so obsessed with reality and time and life and death it's just like that that's again that lack of imagination that he has it's like everything is a machine everything works like a clock to him yeah yeah Yeah, it's also probably a, 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 a cheeky little nod to Mussolini always having the trains on time it's a fascist trait, his obsession really? with... Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. But yeah, I, I think you're exactly right about the mechanical nature of him. Like, the way that he he sees everything as uh, a cog in a wheel. Um, and basically, it to him, if you're not uh, one of the chosen at the table, as they said, we chose to be here, which is not how that works... Um, the chosen if you're not a part of the chosen at the table you're not a part of the watch it's you're just not a part you don't need to exist he he says like the shit he says 
is pretty brutal. He says, these people hold the mistaken belief that we're all equal, but there's a big difference. The war is over and we won, and if we need to kill every one of them, then we'll kill them all, and that's that. Uh, actually, that in, Spanish, and white, yeah. in Spanish, he said, if we need to kill every one of the sons of bitches, we'll kill them all. Um, uh, yeah, he's very black and white. He's very, as you said, mechanical. Everything works in order, and if it doesn't, it needs to be destroyed. Yeah, there's there's no way to kind of fit in between the cracks and that kind of view of reality. Yeah, I... I think, yeah, he, as characters go, he and Mercedes are the two that we spend the most time with, right? Like, other than Ophelia. Ophelia, obviously, is the star of the movie, but it's mostly the captain and Mercedes. Um, and their scenes together are always tense. Very much so. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's almost like it, he always knows at some in some yeah. way that she's he's more suspicious than just of her always yeah yeah it's like he knows that she is in some way an equal but will never fucking admit it yeah and that's what she said yeah that's what she says whenever he has her tied up and then she like you know stabs him uh is that he never saw her as a threat that's why she was able to remain invisible uh and it's just his gen like what we're seeing whenever they're together is her fear because she knows you know that she is working with the rebels and then his just general suspicion of everyone like he is he is suspicious of her but he's suspicious of everyone that isn't a soldier that he can command pretty common dictator trait <laughs> yeah again yeah because yeah again it's about having absolute and total control uh i think uh yeah, you know, I, I said earlier I wanted to differentiate between what horror and dark fantasy is. And I think there's this this quote from um, Del Toro that really kind of sums up a lot about the movie. He says there are two facets of horror. One is pro-institution, which is the most reprehensible type of fairy tale. Okay. So he said, you know, it's basically the don't wander into the woods, always obey your parents, you know, don't don't do drugs. Okay, don't morality tales, yeah. yeah. The other is completely anarchic and anti-establishment. Hmm. And not only um, is he playing here with the idea that he establishes here, because the we have the anti-establishment and we have the uh, you know the by the book types. But he's also, um, he's also kind of playing with what horror and dark fantasy are. Like, that's why this could, like, when somebody tells me Pan's Labyrinth is a horror movie, I'm not going to correct them. Because I think that it, um, it affects people like a horror movie because he intentionally messed with the boundary between the two. So... The boundary between horror and dark fantasy is that horror is a at its core about fear. Like it is about uh, the fears that we all have, uh, primarily of death and pain, but mm -hmm. just our fears. Dark fantasy is uh, about kind of having control of those fears like notice how ophelia throughout is never afraid of anything she sees 
That's true. Yeah. She's never and, like, holy shit, a fawn? Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> it's not it's not even until the um um uh pale man is chasing her that she gets afraid because like seeing him, she even just picks up his eyes on a plate and just looks at him. Just like she is not frightened. So at the center of dark fantasy, uh you don't have to have this terror. Uh, this always nagging fear that we have of death. Mm-hmm. Just making but, super unusual things common and somewhat ordinary and expected. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But this movie blends the other side with the reality side. It is blending in horror elements. So, like, the dark fantasy doesn't have to have all this other stuff because we have the fears that Mercedes has of getting caught we have the fears that the people on the mountain have of of getting caught we have the fear that we see in the torture scenes and in the the bottle scene we have all those actual real world horrors going on and then in the dark fantasy there's no fear it is Hmm. it is an escape from that so dark fantasy doesn't have to have the horror but a dark fantasy movie and a horror movie could be basically the exact same, except throughout the horror movie, you have to feel like all of the dark fantasy creatures are going to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the dark fantasy movie, all the dark fantasy creatures could be frightening as shit, but the entire time you're like, eh, hey guys. Maybe they're all right. Yeah. Yeah. So hmm, That's an interesting that, way to kind of differentiate yeah. between those two. And like you said, it is kind of a, kind of a gray area a lot of times, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I think that was, it's great that he played with that. And like, just from reading that quote, I was like, oh, he's playing with that in this movie. Like he's trying to play with the ways that, that the two different types of horror play with the ways that horror and dark fantasy intersect and the ways that they're different entirely. Like he, he did a really good job and it's not surprising. I mean, he had been keeping a notebook. I think it said for like 20 years of like wow. ideas and and different things that he had that he all sort of coalesced into this movie. That's crazy, man. That's really yeah. wild. I will tell you what though, there is one thing about the fantasy and the mythology of this movie that did strike me this time and kind of fall apart a little bit, but this okay. is totally one of those lost in translation elements. Uh the fawn is not pan like no, pan yeah, like from Greek mythology. Yeah. Like there's no mention of pan whatsoever. It's just like they're like, I don't know, Americans know Goatleg guy as Pan, so therefore it's his labyrinth. But he's not Pan. He only calls himself a fawn. Pan is never mentioned in this movie at all. So I was like, why did they dumb it down title-wise? Because the Spanish title is like the labyrinth of the fawn. Yeah, and calling him Pan doesn't work here at all. Like, Pan was a fawn, but Pan was specifically about uh, sex and celebration. Like... He's yeah, he always party. shown with an erection. Like, that's not what this is about. Yeah, mm. they were. I guess they were going for something they thought would be familiar to Americans, but it's also like, it doesn't make sense though. It doesn't make sense. And how many Americans are actually that familiar any fucking way? Just call it Fawn's real, right? Labyrinth. <laughs> yeah, it's fine, man. The Labyrinth of the Fawn. That's totally fine. Yeah, I didn't really get that this time. I was like, okay, that was kind of out of nowhere and totally irrelevant to the movie. But I guess that's the title. Yeah. I yeah I have I have some nitpicks with the movie for sure like specifically, and I think this is because 
it's uh, fantasy and it's based off of fairy tales. Uh, some of the actions of Ophelia don't make sense to okay. me. Right. Specifically why she eats those grapes. Yeah, I mean, the fairies are telling her not to do it. Yeah, the fawn told her not to do it under circumstances. All she has to do is walk out. Like, it's not yeah. like she, they've established that she's hungry. Like, she gets to eat all she wants. Like, if, if they had been establishing everybody was, like, struggling for food, including the soldiers and their families, then it would be like, oh, okay, well, that would be a tough one. But in this case, it's just like she gets all the food she wants. They tell her, don't eat that. And she's like, eh, but they're grapes, though. But I'm gonna. Yeah, I'm you're gonna. right. It's like she, she lives in a world where she gets a pretty green dress made because there's going to be a, a gathering. Yeah. And it's like, okay, I doubt you're really that starving for a grape, girl. Right. Yeah. You know? And that that is, I mean, that's one of the elements, I guess, of the fantasy that we haven't talked about is that, like, she she is dealing with stuff but she's not suffering in the way others are suffering and her fantasy is that she is a princess and that a monarchy is like a thing which was part of the uh the uh, the fascist side was they were they were monarchists because previously mm. they had a monarchy so they had some monarchists among their group as well so like to have her fantasy be that she's a part of a monarchy kind of illustrates like how little she understands the world around her. Like she hmm. doesn't That's get, an element of the fantasy I didn't get that blended in, but yeah. yeah. Hmm. Like she she's she's sort of detached from all of this. Like the suffering that she's worrying about is her mother's suffering, which we don't know the full story behind. I kind of had a question about that. Like her previous husband was a tailor who made stuff for the soldiers then he died we don't we aren't told how he died and it does then, seem like a weird omission doesn't it yeah like, oh and, and then he died of what uh death <laughs> yeah and then the captain came back into her life and then they got married and i had the question as to whether or not the captain had killed her husband to get him out of the way to marry the wife because yeah, it could be. I didn't think about it. Yeah, the way the conversation was going, those two ladies that were like hearing the story were like, "Oh, funny how things like that happen." And it's like, "Wait a second. What?" Like it's not really. <laughs> like so were they indicating something had happened because he then immediately changes the subject. Yeah, he does. And we never yeah. come back to it ever, do we? No, we never come back to it. Then we also in that same scene just a little bit later, he's asked about his watch. Which he then lies about as well, which I think is supposed to indicate to us that he was lying before. Hmm. Because we okay. know the watch, and we know he has the watch. We've seen him with the watch. That's one of the first things we see him with. One of the things that Kate pointed out is like that might even be him not wanting to appear sentimental. Yeah, um, that's amongst a definite, his peers yeah. and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like that's one of those things that might be perceived as you know weakness. Yeah. So maybe he puts that aside just as he hates imagination and stuff. He would also hate sentimentality. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely going on there. He's got that whole, like, uh, again, macho thing going where, yeah, you can't show any. Like, even with his wife, he he barely shows her any affection. I don't know how much he actually has. It seems like he's mostly interested in 
a male child more than yeah. anything. He's a real but, Razor Ramon type, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. Hey, Chico. He did. That, it's weird in the bottle scene when he walks up. He's like, hey, Chico, where did he these rabbits come at him. from? Flips a toothpick, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then puts that, uh, that guy in the razor's edge. I mean, he's kind of on the nose, really. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. I don't know how we hadn't talked about it up to this point. <laughs> also, he's played by Scott Hall. What the hell? Uh-huh, what? <laughs> I, yeah, I think I think that this movie, though, like, despite some minor flaws, and again, the flaw with the eating of the grapes, it's a fairy tale, and honestly, I think we talked about it with Gretel and Hansel, like, the beautiful thing about fairy tales is that anything can happen. Like, they can break story structure, they can break character consistency, that, that's all fine, because they're stories you tell to children, and it's it's really about imagination more than anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah but I, I as a like considering all the other like solid story things that are going on that just seems like it seems out of character and and not it seems like it was just written for convenience i mean it, and didn't just after that for some reason she draws the door in the ceiling just to make it harder on herself i guess i don't know like why hmm. she chalk like because she started to draw the chalk door in front of her, then saw he was coming after her, and then went to the ceiling to draw the chalk door. And I was like, why? Why? I mean, How I assume it's so he couldn't just follow her through the door or whatever. But it's like if she can reach the ceiling, well, he's a lot taller than yeah, her. Yeah, exactly. Sure, he can do it too. Yeah, and like she could just make the door small enough that he can't get through. Like, but it's like you said, that's like some fairy tale kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, it's fairytale logic. It doesn't have to be entirely logical. And again, it's kid. Like, you know, she she's a child. Like, at no point do they present her as, like, uh, more adult than her age. Like, she is specifically shown to us constantly as she is a child. Like, she acts like a child. She does childish stuff. She's, she's not, like, an annoying child. She is a very well-behaved child, but she's a child. So her acting like a child in that situation works i guess but it it just does it seemed out of character for me i get it i get it it's still a really really neat flick it is um it's a pretty long one but i feel like the pacing uh stays good throughout i think that other elements like the the soundtrack is pretty understated but i think it should be like it doesn't have a fucking tangerine dream soundtrack also it doesn't (laughs) really need one either you know like A lot of it's based around that lullaby theme and stuff, and it's very understated, but it's neat to hear that lullaby melody appear in all kinds of different iterations throughout the flicks. I think that's kind of a good touch on here, but I mean, to me, really, it's it's really all about the visuals and stuff with this flick. I think this is a very visual-based movie, uh, and it's a treat to watch just for that reason alone, because there's so much detail that went into everything. But like you said, whenever you look at it from the historical perspective... And consider what this was saying about the fascists and stuff like that. I think that this becomes a really um, interesting movie from that side of history and that side of that culture and stuff. Yeah, I I um, was happy to read more about it. I knew there was a Spanish Civil War around the time. I knew, you know, there was a lot of upheaval in Europe, but I had never really gotten deep on the Spanish Civil War. And reading about it was eye-opening. I'd say. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, go go check it out. Maybe uh maybe while checking it out just relate it to current events. 
And maybe mm. you'll find why it's interesting to me because it's mm. it's real real similar. In the I got it, man. Mm-hmm. I totally get it, man. If you're gonna slap a number rating on this some bitch, what are you gonna put this thing at on a scale mm-hmm. of one to ten? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. That one. I mean, I hadn't thought about it at all. Uh, I you know, throughout this, uh, all I've talked about is the positives. Really, uh, the primary negatives to me are just there are few things that seem to happen just to propel the story, but don't really fit character necessarily uh, but that those are not huge and i mean the special effects are great it, it looks wonderful i assume well acted uh did the uh, castilian spanish uh, ever distract you no i mean <laughs> honestly i was just kind of hooked on the subtitles so i was like yeah, yeah whatever i kept every once in a while i just hear the fifth and it would just be like, yeah, yeah, I don't know totally. Why, I don't know why it's silly to me, but it's silly. <laughs> uh, but again, that's you know, that's neither here nor that doesn't affect the score at all. Um, so yeah, great, well written, well directed, well acted. I I agree with you that uh, for a two hour movie, it flows really well and doesn't seem to ever um to ever linger too long. I mean, like a lot of stuff happens in the movie. A whole lot happens in that two hours, so not a lot of dead space in there for sure. Yeah, so I yeah for me it's uh, I don't know you say like a eight and a half maybe a nine it's around I get there. It. It's, I I like it a whole lot. Yeah, I totally get that, man. I think for myself, for all the reasons you just named off, I will I'll put this at a solid ocho. I'm gonna give this ocho. an eight, an ocho. Yeah, uh, I would rate it higher if it was just one of those things that made me like happier to watch. I mean, it's it's one <laughs> yeah. of those ones you're That's not gonna want to watch this all the time. No, it's, it's fucking dark. I mean, just the fact that this is based on history and how brutal the Spanish Civil War was and stuff. And I mean, I'm sure you know this isn't even an ounce as graphic and fucked up as the stuff that really happened that affected a lot of people's lives and everything during that time period. Uh, but just the fact that, you know, when you see this brutalism of the fascism and stuff like that going on in this movie, you know, oh, yeah, there's reality behind this. It does make it a drag. It makes the movie kind of a drag. It's just not really a feel-good kind of flick. So that makes it like a, one of those ones that I'm not, like, jonesing to watch again anytime soon. But when I do, I'll be like, man, that is a really damn good movie, though. So I'm going to call this thing a solid eight on my scale. Yeah, that makes sense. Yep, yep, well, yep. Benzo. What are we talking That's me, about Benzo next week? Ferrari, man, dude. We uh-huh. are coming in hot and talking about a movie that I ain't never watched before, oh, but it's one boy. that the commercials and advertisements, <laughs> they scared me to death as a kinder kid, as a child child. Mm-hmm. This thing terrified me. Steve, next week we are going to the heart and soul of things that terrify Uncle Ben, little bowl cut Uncle Ben. <laughs> What are we going to be talking about, Steve? Gremlins 2. <laughs> the new batch. Yeah, Gremlins 2. This, boy, howdy. It is something. <laughs> I'm excited because, I mean, I know the Key and Peel sketch. I just yeah. get the impression that this is cocaine the movie, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Very much cocaine the movie. So just just wait. I, I can't wait to hear your reaction. I'm stoked, man. Well, dude, I hope whenever it lives we did up. the original Gremlins movie on the uh, on the show a couple of years ago, like 
we got into some deep, you know, topics about like, uh, like Ayn Rand and objectivism oh, yeah, and yeah. capitalism. Uh-huh. Like, there's a yeah. lot of stuff in that movie that's like worth exploring. Actually, yeah, uh, for sure. I look forward to seeing what comes out of this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's an exploration of capitalism, I guess, sort of. Okay, all right. Not really. <laughs> all right, cool. I, I, it's a meta exploration. It, it is. If you put Hulk Hogan into a movie, will it make more money? Hmm. We'll find out next week, yeah. I suppose. <laughs> well, in the meantime, you guys be sure to support the show over on the Patreon page. Yep. Patreon.com forward slash dead and lovely. Head on over there. Uh, become a patron at any level. You get access to our Patreon exclusive episodes. Uh, become a $5 patron. You get to submit a movie into the old bowl and we yep. draw it just like we did this one. This Laura Latour told us to do any Guillermo del Toro movie. And this is the one we did. So boom, boom, shakalaka. Yep. It works. The results are in your earbuds right now. <laughs> if you throw $5 a month at us, you put in a movie, we draw it, we talk about it. This could be your episode. Ooh. So support us over there on Patreon. Hang out with us on Facebook and Discord and Instagram, too. Yeah, yeah. Facebook.com forward slash dead and lovely at dead lovely pod on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, always on them social meds. So you can uh, you can catch us there uh, as well as the Discord. Just uh, uh, message me. Ask for the Discord link. If It's been posted once a week on all the social media. But if you message me, I'll give it to you directly. There you go. Get it right there directly like. And uh, Steve, if I'm not mistaken, this episode comes out the day before the Giving of Thanks Day, right? Yeah, it does. Wow. So you're telling me it comes before the day that we're all going to celebrate America by going into someone else's home and infecting them with diseases. Yeah, sounds right. Uh-huh. Huh. That seems to have a historical precedent, but I can't quite put the dots together mm, on that. I don't know. Can't put my finger on that. No, uh, no, I hope everybody out there has a very safe Thanksgiving and be smart and be considerate, guys. Like, yeah, please. the numbers are worse now than ever for COVID nineteen yeah, across yeah. the country. It's the kind mm-hmm. of thing, man. Where I was thinking about it, and I was like, man, if you'd asked me to go to a big old family gathering in like April of this year, I'd have been like, hell to the no, no, I'm not sitting around <laughs> a table with like dozens of family members. Fuck no, it's pandemic on. Yeah, I wouldn't have done that in April. It's fucking worse now. Yeah. So it is. please do be careful, um, especially if you have you know loved ones and stuff that are um, immune suppressed, yeah. elderly, heart lung conditions. I mean, just the list goes on and on as far as like why you really probably shouldn't be around anybody that doesn't already live in your house this yeah. year. Don't worry about it. There'll be another one. Things are just going to be kind of different this year. Everybody be safe. Be considerate out there and have yourself a good old Thanksgiving. Uh, and we'll be trying to do the same thing, right? Yeah, I'll be giving thanks with my wife uh, and 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 my dog. That'll Same. be fun. That's what we're doing too. Yeah. We are having a little solo, uh, a solo Thanksgiving this year as well, and uh, we're not seeing anybody. It just seems yeah. like that's the safer thing to do. I got all kinds yeah. of family and stuff that are at risk that have a list of health problems that mean that getting COVID would be very, 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 very disastrous for them. Yeah. So I'm not seeing them like. That's my way of saying, hey, I'm thankful want- you're still alive. <laughs> yeah, I want you to continue to be alive, please. Yeah. Thank you. My, yeah. my gift to you this Thanksgiving is not bringing my germs around you. So <laughs> I hope all you guys out there are, you know, putting some thought into it. Not trying to tell you what to do with your lives or anything like that. I'm no fascist. 
Yeah. I'm a fascist. I am. You can't smart. go see your oh, parents. Okay. <laughs> Stay <laughs> home. <laughs> and we will catch you guys next week for a brand new installment of Dead and Lovely. Thanks again so much for tuning in. I have been Uncle Ben. I have been Hollywood Steve. We have been Dead and Lovely. We love Goodbye. you. Bye. Steve, there's been something that's been weighing really heavy on my mind this week. And Dave Grohl style, I've got another confession to make. Okay, let's hear it. I'm kind of concerned that I may have caused the entire COVID-19 pandemic. As as a child, I think I may have wielded dark wizard powers. Oh, no. Tell Mm -hmm. me. Yeah. Because I was thinking about it, and I do remember this one time that as a kid, I was getting all frustrated, right, with being homeschooled. Okay. I was like, oh, man, I have to stay home all the time with my family. My, uh-huh. my parents are my teachers and my principals and stuff like this. Oh, it sucks. But people would make fun of me for it. So I was like, I swear to Satan, one day I shall exact my life upon the entire world and let them know the oh. horror of homeschool. Okay. I think I might have put it into action. It might have been oh, all no. me here, guys. <laughs> so we're because everybody's feeling... living my childhood right now, man. Like everybody's now. staying home, getting homeschooled and stuff. Like I'm kind of <laughs> forcing my childhood on everybody. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Sorry, Is that y'all. Why my Sorry. wife keeps teaching me about creationism. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Uh huh. And right. why do you think you've been wanting to bowl cut so badly, huh? I listen. I have been just begging for one. Please put a bowl on my head. I say. That's right, man. I'll tell you what. There's never been a better time to invest in jorts because my childhood <laughs> is becoming the worldwide norm. <laughs> Buckle up, everybody. <laughs>